0: Hello and welcome to the She-Hulk Companion, everything you could possibly want to know about Jennifer Walters, aka She-Hulk from Marvel Comics. This episode is the August Yancey Street special for my podcast, which is known as Sensational She-Geek Live from Yancey Street, so go ahead and check that out if you have any other interest or if you enjoy what you hear on this special edition podcast episode. The one thing I want to add before we get started is if you would like to better follow along, feel free to check out the podcast notes for this special, um, which is basically will allow you to read along with the podcast and that can be found linked in the description of this episode. Also, this special is chock full of information and will therefore be often referencing itself as I go along. The usual links to jump to specific sections of the podcast will still be in the description, but please be advised that this has been put together with the intention of being listened to in full, front to back. So if you miss anything by skipping sections, that is on you. Let's go ahead and jump right in with why are we doing this? Well, Several reasons. In 2022, Jennifer Walters, a.k.a. She-Hulk, is getting a new comic series, or rather has a new comic series, as well as getting her first TV series, which will be airing on Disney+. She-Hulk, a.k.a. Jennifer Walters, has over 1,000 appearances in the comics, so I can't logically, realistically go through all of that before her series came out, but I have gotten as much of her history covered as I can, covered in depth as I can. When Peter David left Marvel's Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man series in 2007 to take over Dan Slott's She-Hulk with issue number 22, he was interviewed by Newsarama at HeroesCon Con Philly to talk about this taking over the series, and is fairly famously quoted to compare her as Marvel's Wonder Woman. What Newsarama asked was, In your view, what elements make for a great She-Hulk story? What larger role does she fill in the Marvel Universe that no one else does? what Peter David said in response was She-Hulk has the potential to be our Wonder Woman, a powerful female with a strong moral center and a determination to do what's right. She's also a unique combination of brains and brawn. The ideal She-Hulk story is one that plays out both aspects of her makeup, the intelligence combined with her strength. She-Hulk was also the very first character to quote break the fourth wall, something that has been made made millions for other characters across media. According to Polygon, they say, quote, two years before Deadpool was even created and nearly a decade before he'd actually start addressing the reader, Bern she didn't simply break the fourth wall. She used it to her advantage. She tore holes in pages to skip parts of the plot and to get to the bad guys faster. When villains had the upper hand, she'd call to cut away the issue's subplot so that she could skip over her own beatdown. She interacted on the page with Byrne and Marvel editors and complained when guest artists didn't get her hair right. Compared to nowadays, Jen was the first to be followed with the likes of Deadpool, most famously, but also Scott Pilgrim, Superboy Prime, The Joker, Superman, and countless movie and TV show characters. Something that might surprise a few folks is She-Hulk was not created as a comparison to Wonder Woman or Big Barna, no. And it was not some trendy uh, move of creating a female version of a male character. Well, not necessarily. In short, she was created because of the success of the Bionic Woman. The live-action, Incredible Hulk show with Lou Ferrigno was doing brilliantly across American household TVs. This created a then unique catch-22 for Marvel, who did not directly own the rights to that TV show, which premiered on CBS at the time and was produced by Universal, but it did directly push kids to buy more of their comics, making them money and specifically money on that character. Because of the show's success, Marvel predicted that the Universal CBS showrunners and investors would no doubt soon want to create a female version to the incredible Hulk for appearing in his or her own show just in the same way this that similar TV networks of the period did for the $6 million man in creating the Bionic Woman released around the same time. To prevent this from happening and thereby taking Marvel's ability to make money off of a female Hulk, Stan Lee himself whipped up Savage She-Hulk number one to beat them to the punch and to make sure her rights remain directly within the Marvel side of things. She was the last Marvel character created by Stan the Man himself until he created another Marvel character in the 1990s. Jennifer Walters' first appearance was in Savage She-Hulk No. 1 in 1980 by Stan Lee and John Buscema. Jennifer Susan Walters, an attorney in L.A., is being visited by her East Coast cousin, one Dr. Bruce Banner, when a car of lackeys sent by a mob boss Jen was prosecuting opens fire on her at her home in a drive-by shooting. Without time to take her to a hospital, Dr. Banner is forced to do an on-site blood transfusion with himself as the donor. It kept her alive long enough to get her to the hospital, where the same lackeys return to finish the job. To everyone's surprise, they're greeted not by a sickly Jen, but by the savage She-Hulk, created through Banner's gamma-irradiated emergency transfusion and triggered by a physical attack. And so begins the story of Jennifer Walters' She-Hulk. There are two things that I want to, well, there's one thing I want to note uh, before we get too far into this. That her origin has been changed somewhat since the first issues of Savage She-Hulk. In Sensational She-Hulk, which is a series that comes after, two points are changed specifically about Jen's history, and that is, first, her mother was killed by a drunk driver, not a Nick Trask gangster. And two, she went to USCLA for her law degree, not necessarily Harvard. While Harvard is never stricken from the record, neither is the Nick Trask murder. It's just kind of never mentioned again, and they say something else instead. So in my professional opinion as a fan, um, the way that I see it, her mom was killed by a drunk driving agent of Nick Trask, and she attended Harvard before she attended UCLA Law School. The next section that I want to cover is her key appearances, her key comic issues. These are, if you are a collector, things that you will want to get because they are notable issues in the events that happen regarding the character. So um, to avoid just kind of listing off a bunch of issues, um, I will go through what the issues are for. Um, why they're key. And then you can go through my list or find another list if you'd like and see what is the particular issue is. So we have her first appearance. We have five times that she dies. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight premiere issues, technically. Yeah, no, that is right. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven finale issues, which makes sense because she has a current series going. We have her first Iron Man team-up, the first interaction with the female hero, which is Hellcat, by the way. The first meeting with Spider-Man, which was a battle against him, when she joins the Avengers, the first team-up with the Hulk, Uh, Her first issue of Damage Control, when she meets Eros, her first battle versus Titania, when she joins the Fantastic Four, meets Wyatt Wingfoot, breaks the fourth wall for the first time, becomes Grey She-Hulk for the first time, a couple of Batman spoof issues, the return of John Byrne to the sensational series, the first battle of Hulk and his cousin She-Hulk, her 100th issue, her first battle versus Red Hulk, Thunderbolt Ross, her first appearance of the law offices of Jennifer Walters and her reveal as being immortal, which yes, we will get into that as we go along. See she has had a various number of series through the years. As I mentioned the premier title, premier issues Savage She-Hulk in 1980, Sensational She-Hulk in 1989, She-Hulk Volume 1 in 2004, Volume 2 in 2005, and Volume 3 in 2014. Volume 4 was in 2017, which for some reason they then picked up the legacy numbering and switched it back to She-Hulk Volume 1, going from 159 onward then. They kind of split that series in half. But then now we're back to for whatever reason, standard numbering starting with a number one for She-Hulk volume four that started just this year. So let's go through some of those, um, series starting with Savage She-Hulk volume one was 25 issues that ran from 1980 to 1982. We obviously know the first issue was by Stan Lee and John Bushima, um, because they had to create her before anybody else did pretty much. Um, issues number 2 through 25, though, were all by David Kraft, with art by Mike Vosberg. Savage She-Hulk takes place in Jen's native Los Angeles. We meet Jen Walters, get to know her, and watch her become the She-Hulk. Much of the series is Jen coming to terms with her status as a Hulk and learning to live with it while she goes through the highs and lows of a top-tier lawyer career woman. We get to know her first love interests, all fairly simple, mostly regular human guys. We see that she's a a determined lawyer, and pretty good at it at that, willing to do what it takes to get to justice. But it isn't all easy-peasy. Her first weeks as She-Hulk are stress-filled, painful, and generally physically and mentally exhausting for Jen and her friends, quote, in the know, like her neighbor, Zapper. Her being a Hulk even causes, by extension, the death of Jen's best friend in issue number two. So her becoming a Hulk for a time looks like it might actually ruin her life and Jen's career, the whole shebang. But as I mentioned already, Jen is a determined little spitfire and uses her means as a lawyer, sheriff's daughter, and cousin of an Avenger to figure her newfound situation out. And by the 25th, by the final 25th issue, Jen has complete comfortable control over her Gamma abilities. (laughs) you <laughs> this first series is marked by bizarre villains of all kinds, one of which that stands out is Ralph Hutchins, a poor soul who falls in with the wrong crowd, and through the 25 issues of Savage, goes through a total of seven different villain alter egos at the hands of the series nemesis, Nick Trask. We also get run-ins with fellow heroes and superpowered folks alike like Iron Man, Patsy Walker, and her future temporary husband John Jameson in his star god form. It is, to be frank, quite ridiculous and that's the oddness that opens up the door for her next projects. The 1989 to 1994 sensational She-Hulk series gets mostly credited to John Byrne when in reality he only wrote about half the issues. To break down the actual numbers we have John Byrne writing issues 1 through 8, 30 through 46, and 48 through 50 of the 60 issue series. Number nine was written by Richard Starklings, so Starkings and Greg Wright. Numbers 10 through 11, 13 through 20, and 21 to 23 were written by Steve Gerber and Buzz Dixon. Number 12 was by Peter David, who will return years later to write another series with her. Number 24 through 27 and 47 were by Simon Furman, 28 by Dwight John Zimmerman, 29 and 30 by Louise Simonson, 51 by Scott Benson, 52 through 57 Michael Yuri, 58 Sholly, Sholly Fish, 59 and 60 Len Kaminsky and Scott Benson. To make up the total of 60 issues the series focuses a lot more on fan service and humor rather than story with really any meaningful meat to it. Tons of jokes and gags and puns and the founding of breaking the fourth wall for as light as the series tended to remain, it sporadically would throw her a real bone and add some new lore to the Jen Walter's story. It's in the sensational series that Jen first turns gray like Bruce runs in with the fantastic four and Avengers teams, dates a series of s- superheroes like Wyatt Winkfoot and is more or less a Established as a fun-loving, sexy badass. I actually have to correct myself. She doesn't first run into the Fantastic Four and Avengers team and date Wyatt. She just continues to do that. She first turns gray and then runs into all of them and dates Wyatt some more. But anyway, She-Hulk volume one runs from 2004 to 2005 by writer Dan Slott, which has 12 issues. For whatever reason, when they come back in 2016, they connect that series to this, which we'll talk about when we get there. Dan Slott's She-Hulk series was big in the fact that it changed the norm for She-Hulk solo comics. She was still her big sexy self, but the plot focused on it less and more on her time as a lawyer, a fantastic lawyer at that. Slot got her hired at GLK and H, which we'll see in the show, focusing a lot on making her a bit more relatable businesswoman with regular problems who also happens to be a mean green superhero. She Hulk Volume 2 takes us 2005 through 2009. Dan Slott writes the series through issue 21, with Peter David wrapping up issues 22 through 38. His first time writing She Hulk was actually Sensational She Hulk number 12. The, the series has a total of 38 issues. Um, numbers 31 through 33 take place in Secret Inv- Invasion, which is an event that happened at, across all Marvel comics. This second volume brought a lot more in for Jen's character rather than just the duality of her life as a hero and a lawyer. Now things get weird. Jen is a well-established lawyer as well as a hero. Now we see how complicated that can get. The series mixes question the legitimacy of her past relationships, including the legitimacy of her traction to Eros way back in the day. We see her marry John Jameson at the drop of a hat, who is the wolfman, and then again discover it was, again, Eros behind this romance as well. Basically, Eros is super toxic, but I think we all knew that. We get Jen as the Magistry for the Living Tribunal, as an Avenger, a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, a Bounty Hunter, a Team Leader, and importantly, as it leads into coming events, as a key Hulk family member. There's a couple other series that pop in that is not a solo series for Jen, but that she does she is a major player in. One is all-new Savage She-Hulk in 2009, which was four issues by Fred Van Lente, with art by Peter Vale and Robert Askins. The series stars Lyra, the otherworldly daughter of Hulk and Thundra. She battles Jen until they figure out that they are on the same size. Side, <laughs> Lyra is a, quote, Femazon warrior created in a test tube without Bruce's knowledge. She was raised in an alternate future and leads the Femizons of Earth-712, not to be confused with the Femizons who go up against Captain America. From a world where society as we know it has crumbled and humanity has been irrev- irre- irrevocably changed, she comes... The all-new, all-different Savage She-Hulk, but now a deadly mission has brought her to the current Marvel continuity. What terrible secret does this gamma-irradiated beauty bear? And if she is, is she friend or foe? Inhuman or mutant? Avenger, defender, or invader? Discover the mystery—the mysteries surrounding this all-new superstar in the Marvel universe as we proudly present the all-new Savage She-Hulk. And of course, as I said, by the time this series is over, she and Jen are understanding allies and family. Then we have The Fall of the Hulks, Savage She-Hulks, which took place in 2010 across three issues by Jeff Parker, with art by Salvador Espin and Zach Howard. This one, again, stars Jen and Lyra, with a guest star of cameo... (laughs) guest star of Betty, uh, who is a red She-Hulk, Betty Ross. Woo. Lyra has joined in the, in the series. Lyra has joined Norman Osborn's villains team as undercover agents to find her aunt Jen, the She-Hulk. She finds Jen in stasis on a helicarrier and rescues her, leading to the two having a very long conversation, bonding over their shared Hulk DNA. By the end of the series, the two find themselves facing off against Red Hulk, with Red Hulk or sorry, with Red She-Hulk at his side. But they manage to convince her to join them, and she helps them win the battle. And then we have them appearing again in She-Hulks, with the S, She-Hulks, plural, 2011, which is four issues by Harrison Wilcox with art by Ryan Stegman. The series, again, stars Jen and Lyra. For whatever reason, Lyra ends up at a high school prom where the climax of the series takes place. She and her Aunt Jen as She-Hulk take out the wizard, but they are shunned by Lyra's schoolmates, and the series ends on a somber note of how hard it is to be accepted as you are as a Hulk. And then back to Jen's solo series, the third volume of She-Hulk was 2014 to 2015. It had 12 issues written by Charles Soule. This is the series that really put Jen on the map as a serious lawyer character, going as far as to establish her own business, the law offices of Jennifer Walters, with Jen, Patsy Walker, Angie Wang, and the monkey Hey. hey. The covers were done by Kevin Wada, which are utterly gorgeous. However, the interior art was wildly different, absolutely cartoonish in comparison, which turned off a lot of readers from picking up the series. While it is, content-wise, one of her best runs, it is unfortunately one of the least popular due to that startling difference in art styles. In 2016, we got Hulk Volume 4, which... Yes, you are correct. Is not She Hulk Volume Four. This is Hulk Volume Four, uh, because that was the title she was going by at the time. We have eleven issues titled Hulk, and then at the twelfth issue, it transitions back into She Hulk Volume One, picking up uh, with issue I believe it was hundred and something. Let's see, picking up with issue one fifty nine to one sixty three, wrapping up the last five issues of this. Story. This is by all by Mariko Tamaki. This is after the events of Civil War II, Jen is left at a completely different place, mentally and physically. Due to the PTSD of having been slaughtered by Thanos and various other points, her Hulk form becomes an alternative gray form, resembling her savage days. Try as she might to focus on her work as lawyer Jennifer Walters, the Hulk side of her haunts her constantly, as do her memories. After working to help a new human client in New York and getting past the leader's Uh, plans for her jen takes the time she needs to seek professional help there she faces off with her hulk personas coming to terms with all that's happened to her and returning to a greener if more openly savage she hulk Finally, we are up to the current series, which started in 2022. It's by Rainbow Roll, and we currently have five issues with at least seven solicited. It says Jen is back in her sensational form, trying to get her law career back on track after years of failed attempts. Mallory Book has hired her as an attorney at her firm, but strictly as Jen and strictly without superhero clientele. Both of these points are obviously a lot harder for Jen than she realizes, especially after the once-dead Jack of Hearts makes an uncanny return to her life. That leaves us with a number of one-shots about She-Hulk to go over. Um, the first that she ever had was Marvel Graphic Novel Number 18, Sensational She-Hulk Number 1. This is technically the first issue of Sensational She-Hulk coming four years before the series officially starts, and it was written and drawn by John Byrne. Then we have in 1989, just before the start of Sensational She-Hulk ongoing, uh, we have Sensational She-Hulk in Ceremony is what it was called. It was actually two issues by Dwayne McDuffie and Robin Chaplick, with pencils by June Brigman. If you are following along on my website with the notes, you will see there is a long, description of what happens in this series. I'm going to skip over that now and just give you the too long didn't read. Basically, she gets lonely and thinks that a baby will help. She asks her ex-slash friend, Wyatt Wingfoot, to be a surrogate father. She responds by asking asking her to marry him. Uh, They decide to do it and they go to his native reservation to meet his family. But an oil tycoon is looking for spiritual and physical power and it's up to Jen and Wyatt to stop him. While they do stop him, they can't stop the government from rescinding the treaty with his people and kicking him off their ancestral land so the drilling companies can search there for minerals. Wyatt becomes chief of his tribe and She-Hulk says farewell knowing she doesn't need the legacy of children to be loved, remembered, or successful as a woman. In 2002 we had The Thing and She-Hulk, The Long Night by Todd DeZago with art by Brian Hitch and Yvonne Reese. says Ben Grimm and Jennifer Walters' everyday lives are interrupted when the two must band together in the New York City subways to protect passengers from the Dragon Man. In 2008, we had She-Hulk Cosmic Collision by Peter David with art by Mahmoud Asrar says it's a sci-fi spectacular guest starring the Lady Liberators and the female heroes from the Guardians of the Galaxy. When She-Hulk finds herself suddenly transported off-world, it's up to her and a collection of the universe's most powerful heroines, including Storm, Thundra, Valkyrie, and the Invisible Woman, to figure out what's going on before a brand new foe annihilates them. Hulk Family Green Jeans is from 2008 with various creators. Uh, It features, I believe, four or five different stories, one of which does feature Sensational She-Hulk. She-Hulk Sensational, number one, is from 2010 by Peter David and John Boy Myers, uh, as well as Brian Reed and Yvonne Coelho. There's two different stories. It says, you never ask a woman her age, especially when she can... Bench press tractor trailers, but She-Hulk's big secret is out because Marvel's celebrating 30 years of the Jade Giantess and you're invited to the party. Join acclaimed Shulky scribe Peter David for an anniversary tale like any other. And if you're still feeling savage, writer Brian Reed and artist Ivan Coelho are hosting an after party in honor of the buff bombshell and her most famous friends. In 2019, we got just She-Hulk Annual number 1 by Alexandra Petri and Andy MacDonald, titled Acts of Evil. Bullseye being hired for assassination, just another Tuesday, but when he decides to pin it on She-Hulk, bad idea. Strap in as everyone's favorite lawyer-slash-Hulk, Jennifer Walters, takes on the mad marksman in a classic case of character defamation, with a heaping helping of smash. Plus, robots. Why? Well, you'll just have to wait and see. And finally, her most recent one-shot was from September 2020, titled Immortal She-Hulk Number 1, by Al Ewing and John Davis Hunt. In the wake of Empire, Jen Walters goes immortal. The Kutatai invasion has changed everything for Jennifer Walters. Now she seems to have a new lease on life, but things are never that simple for the gamma-powered. Al Ewing gives She-Hulk the immortal treatment with a horrifying standalone tale. And as for her immortal status, we will definitely be covering that, uh, further down in the podcast This next section of the special Is going to be called co- covering Jen's characterization Including comparisons between now and then uh, Controversy surrounding John Byrne and other writers uh, Her status as Jennifer Walters, legal eagle Powers and abilities, roles and occupations Physical appearance, costumes and fashions Immortal Hulk status Alias and nicknames Bases of operations Uh, Alternate realities and other characters who are related to She-Hulk. Starting with a little comparison between where we are now versus where we started. In Savage She-Hulk, when Jen first gets her Hulk powers, she has a hard time controlling her newfound abilities. Her transformations are uncontrollable and painful, leading her to numerous awkward, dangerous, and otherwise very negative situations. As her transformations get worse, she tries to use Valium to calm them. At the same time, her Hulk form is angry, self-righteous, demanding, and tough-hearted. As the angry side subsides at times, She-Hulk in the early days remained fairly careless in her actions. She reaches a turning point in issue 15, where she saves a young singer named Dahlia, who falls into a diabetic coma. That's the first time she wishes to be able to live out in the open as She-Hulk, a hero. After that, she spends more time out and about as She-Hulk, looking for trouble to avert. Between savage and sensational, Jen is characterized as the fiery, hot-headed She-Hulk, but one who gets into messes because of her love of fun and sometimes carelessness in the process, as she knows she can do pretty much what she wants without necessarily being stopped. She goes from a bit of a wallflower in Jen to the fun-loving maelstrom of She-Hulk. Again, I'll talk more about that at the end of the episode, about how that character split between her two sides. And then we have the duality of She-Hulk. Again at the end we're going to we're going to touch on how the culture of uh, big girls being hot has changed a lot I think since Jen's foundation but moving on from that for a second in Avengers 20 uh, from 2018 by Jason Aaron uh, we get a little bit of a narration by Jen that I very much appreciated here for her character it says "'Cousin Bruce said something a few years back about how he was envious of me, how easy I he figured I've had it. "'When he hulked out, he became a giant, deformed monster who couldn't even wear normal clothes, "'while I was looking like a bodybuilder who'd just been spray-painted green. "'I could wear suits, walk down the street without people running and screaming. "'Teenage boys hung posters of me on their walls. "'Must be nice,' Bruce said, "'to be that kind of hulk.'" I never wanted to punch my cousin so bad, and that's saying something. I told him about the parts of being me that he was oblivious to, about all the times I'd been hit on during team-ups, the bad guys who'd cop a feel when we were fighting, the sleazeball who published photos of me topless when I was in the Fantastic Freaking Four. No paparazzi ever followed Bruce around taking photos of his butt while he was fighting the leader. I told him, Looking like a big scary monster didn't sound so bad sometimes. Unquote. Uh, I did find in a Polygon article um, they had a fun line: "Sexy Hulk? No, she's the Incredible Hulk." Which I find goes like, "Oh, Lady Thor? No, she's Mighty Thor." Uh, but in the same article, they say any way you slice it, there's no era of She-Hulk in which she was a giant green porn star. Burns run included cheesecake and feminine fashion as part of its satire, so more like burlesque. I myself, I'm not sure I agree with that. Um, Cheesecake—they're talking about like the Japanese concept of fan service, basically, um, lots of cleavage, lots of ass shots, her cheeks are coming out of her panties, she's wearing lingerie, and her clothes get ripped off to show off the lingerie, you know, I mean, is, is there a plot to that? There is not. Um, so can you really say that it's not what people call it? Not really. <laughs> um, and on Looper, I found another article here. Um, David Goyer is well acquainted with the DC Universe after writing Man of Steel and Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, but he got himself into hot water with some comments about She-Hulk in 2014. Goyer was asked about the character while discussing, uh, while guest- guesting on the Script Notes podcast and responded, She-Hulk was the extension of the male power fantasy. So it's like, if I'm going to be this geek who becomes the Hulk, then let's create this giant green porn star that only the Hulk could screw, is what he's saying. Uh, Which is a very not unique point, not a very unique take on She-Hulk. I can see what he's saying, but I don't think that's quite right because she was created by Stan, uh, to which Stan Lee heard this comment he made and replied, telling the Washington Post that they never for an instant conceived her as a love interest for the Hulk, arguing only a nut would even think about you. Sorry, think about that. (laughs) Looking at you, creators of Wasteland and Old Man Logan stuff, because that's pretty creepy. Now, um, there is a bit of controversy in her series. Um, There is a lot of controversy surrounding John Byrne, Um, but for the most part, what, in my opinion, is controversial about him is that he was not really a good person. He was not a good person. Um, He wrote Sensational She-Hulk through Issue 8, and then came back for basically 31 through 50. And in Sensational 50, he drew himself appearing in the issue and said that this comic should die, aka be cancelled, due to the fact that he's not on it anymore, and did go on for ten more issues after him. Uh, This gives you a little idea of how he is as a person. Over the years, he has gained a reputation as a controversial figure, and has noted himself that, quote, as the people who who figured me out have said, I just don't suffer fools gladly, unquote. What that means is he's an asshole who refuses to listen to any point of view but his own, and is not willing to hide that. So... That doesn't mean you don't suffer fools gladly. It means you're an asshole. (laughs) Uh, But as for creators who he's had beef with, there are a lot of really famous names, including Jack Kirby. How could you have beef with Jack Kirby, my man? In 1981, Jack Kirby began speaking publicly about his belief that he had been deprived of fair credit and money while creating the majority of Marvel's top characters, and he would be correct in that. Byrne wrote an editorial declaring himself, quote, proud to be a, quote, company man arguing that creators should, quote, live within the rules while they're around. Honestly, he should listen to his own advice because when we get into the Dwayne McDuffie stuff... He he, kind of is a hypocrite. Uh, Steve Gerber is another one. Steve Gerber and Kirby both lampooned Byrne's position in Destroyer Duck, drawing him as a character called Booster Cogburn, possessing a removable spine and existing only to serve as a cog in the mammoth corporation that owned him. It's pretty funny satire. Steve Inkelhart wrote a bit in his Fantastic Four run about Byrne bugging Jen and how he was in love with her when he wrote the Fantastic Four, and that's why he wrote her quite scandalously at times. Eric Larson, uh, he also had beef with. Eric Larson created a villain in the 1990s for his Savage Dragon and the Freak Force series Johnny Redbird slash The Creator who parodies on John Byrne, a massive cranium with an atrophied appendages. Uh, He can bestow superpowers indiscriminately. Uh, there was also Roy Thomas and several others that he had issues with in 1982 during a panel discussion at the Dallas Fantasy Fair. Byrne made disparaging comments about longtime comics writer and one-time Marvel Comics editor in chief Roy Thomas that were published in the Comics Journal 75 in 1982. Thomas threatened to s- a slander suit if Byrne did not apologize in a letter printed in the Comics Journal in 1982. The next year, sorry, in number 82, the next year. Byrne retracted his statements, saying he was only repeating information from others. Writing, "I acted only in the office of a parrot," that is not a forgive it. That's doesn't forgive it. Um, and now let's talk about Dwayne McDuffie, because who oh boy. Let's go over this timeline for a second. Just make sure we got all straight. So John Byrne wrote the first iteration of Sensational She-Hulk as Marvel Graphic Novel Number 18 in 1985. He then left Marvel Comics in 1986 after his run on Fantastic Four, going to go do Superman at DC for a while. He returns in 1989 when McDuffie was mid-plans for She-Hulk Ceremony, uh, and he had... With minor changes to the character as Byrne had characterized her back in '85 during Marvel Graphic Novel Number 18, the Sensational She-Hulk Number One. It's a mouthful of a title. Byrne took major issues with that to the point that he temporarily left the series until the editor that he did not like, who preferred McDuffie, technically was also gone from the series. Myself, reading up on their disagreements over her character, it seems pretty too pretty clear that the two were not in contact directly, and Byrne was pretty much just bitter. He believed that she, he should have sole say over what the character should be doing, regardless of the fact that he had left the company three years prior to work with their biggest competition. Again, this is, goes back to, he should listen to his own advice, live within the rules while you're around. You were gone, dude. You don't have a say while you're gone. It's notable, in my opinion also, that McDuffie was a black man and John Byrne has been noted to be a classic boomer, let's say, so it's not a coincidence that he had a major issue with McDuffie. It's also noteworthy that all these creators who Byrne had beef with or has beef with, you go to their wiki pages, there's no section about controversy, that's just Byrne. Clearly, he has always been the problem. Now let's talk about the issues with She Hulk ceremony and John Byrne's whole uh fit he had about that. She Hulk ceremony 1990 versus Marvel graphic novel Marvel graphic Marvel graphic novel number 18 from 1985. So, in 1989, John Byrne debuted a new title, The Sensational She-Hulk. Bobby Chase was chosen as the editor for that title. Around the same time, Dwayne McDuffie and Robin Chaplick had already submitted a pitch for a She-Hulk prestige format series. It was probably originally going to be a graphic novel. The series was written before Byrne's first issue of Sensational ever came out. Byrne, as the writer of the new regular sensational series, was given the chance, as was the custom, to see if anything in the Ceremony series conflicted with his title, as Byrne's first few issues would be out before the Ceremony miniseries would come out. Byrne made a number of changes, and the editor, Chase, had them changed in the book. That is, all of them but one, the scene involving She-Hulk shaving her legs. John Byrne had asked for the scene to be removed, and it was not. Bobby Chase, the editor, clearly, meanwhile, also had to deal with complaints from McDuffie over all the changes that she did make to his story in Ceremony. So when it came time for Byrne's series, Sensational, to begin, Chase also began making some changes to Byrne's scripts to bring them in line closer with the story in Ceremony. Okay. Here, then, we have a bit of a he said, she said over whether Byrne literally said either she goes or I go. However, that point was reached. Marvel editor-in-chief Tom DeFalco ultimately sided with Bobby Chase over John Byrne, and Byrne was off She-Hulk after issue 8, and he would later return when Chase left. A lot of that comes from um, CBR's comic book legends. Having personally read Ceremony, I think Byrne was honestly mistranslating what McDuffie and his companions w- wrote. In the context of the story, Jen is stressing about her romantic life and prepping for a new date with an old beau. She's nervous and second-guessing everything that she does to prepare. So when I read this, it I took it not as if she's you know i i took it as if she's too nervous to really get beyond the razor part of shaving her legs one roadblock she's flustered when you're flustered you're not doing the smartest things usually i didn't see that as jen being characterized as dumb i saw it as jen being a bit of a nervous mess in the moment uh, so all of, his, all of his little freak out over that really was just a hissy fit. Um, and plus, there are additional concerns over John Byrne as a person. Uh, in 2005, he, uh, criticizing portrayals of Superman, emphasizing his connection to his home planet, John Byrne described immigrants uh, with what he perceives as excessive attachment to their nations of origin as ungrateful little shits. Which is pretty terrible. In 2015, Byrne received criticism for stating that transgender people are mentally ill and comparing them to pedophiles. Also pretty messed up. Um, Byrne wasn't even that kind to Jen in any case. In his Fantastic Four series, a paparazzi took photos of Jen sunbathing topless. Ultimately, nobody knew that it was Jen due to her green skin. uh, Having been edited by a color corrector. Later, corrupt agents of Shield forced her to strip naked and be medically examined as a quote potential threat like her cousin. This was all filmed for personal arousal purposes before Dum-Dum Duggan put a stop to the harassment. Although She-Hulk put forward a brave exterior during these incidents, she was actually quite shaken and appreciated Wyatt's support. These two incidents come from Fantastic Four 2005, oh, sorry, 275 and Marvel Graphic Novel number 18. And on Jen in particular, it can be seen as either positive or negative, but it is accurate. Burn She-Hulk, the winking adventurer, became the definitive version of the character, even when her book came to an end and she returned to the Avengers for more everyday superhero antics. It would be the mid-2000s before another writer would come along and give her a new dominant mode, the superhero world's foremost legal mind. In modern times, the Byrne characterization comes off as Jen being a sexy joke and not really anything else. It was up to later creators to make her something more. And to be fair, Dan Slott is not the only controversial creator who has written She-Hulk, although he is the only one to that extent. Uh, Dan Slott is also mildly controversial Um, It has less to do with his writing of She-Hulk than it has to do with his treatment of fans um, and his treatment of, I guess you would say, romance. Um, You can see it a little bit in his She-Hulk stuff, but as an example, a better example, um, in his Fantastic Four run, he recently had Dr. Doom's daughter figure marry him because how is that not creepy as shit? right? But anyway, on the positive side for Dan Slott, in an article by Polygon, they say Slot She-Hulk is also produced of Marvel's most memorably memetic moments, like that time Spider-Man told everyone Jade J- Jameson hated him because he was black. It fleshed out her most con-, con- consistent rival titania into more than a paper-thin character and while it wasn't a story in which jen talks to the reader or smashed through panels slot kept the theme metatextuali- metatextual met- metatextual of metatextuality god i can't say that establishing a bunch of lore about the comic book publisher called marvel comics that exists within the marvel comics universe so it's not all bad he's just kind of a dill hole Now, when it comes to Jennifer Walters' legal eagle, uh, in the Savage series, the series that covers her time as a in-the-closet hero, so to say, Jen is full of cheesy one-liners, calling herself a legal eagle. She is proud to be a lawyer. Jen, before becoming publicly She Hulk, was a Spitfire, no doubt. She goes up against the man in some form or another in every issue of Savage, from her own father to office place rivals to superheroes and even love interests. If there's one thing that can be certain about Jen Walters, was before she came out as She Hulk, it was underestimated. Interestingly, that's a pattern that doesn't change much in her Hulk form, where she continues to be underestimated as the, quote, female version of her cousin. When she stars in her own comic series, she quite often finds herself sharing the book with an assortment of odd characters, many of which end up as her clients. She's been called by Polygon, Marvel's most dedicated lawyer, because sorry, Daredevil, but your whole thing is that you can't stop fighting crime long enough to fight for your clients. She's known for championing rights of minorities and for rights of individuals against corporations. At the same time, she's shown great versatility in her legal practice, representing criminal defendants, corporations, and domestic violence victims alike. Her being a lawyer makes things complicated for her during events where she's torn between two worlds, such as when her cousin is sent off to space by the Illuminati or when they pass the Superhero Registration Act. As for the powers and abilities of Jennifer Walters and She-Hulk, the first thing that has to be mentioned, of course, is breaking the first wall. Because She-Hulk, Jennifer, she did it first, before anybody else. Now, as for her abilities as Jen, she attended Harvard, and then uh, she was summa cum laude at at UCLA Law School. Uh, Some sites do claim that Jen has no powers except to turn into a Hulk, but other claims that she does have superhuman abilities as, quote, just Jen. I'm not really sure how all of that counts because there really isn't that much backing it up, but she does have a good amount of combat skills, including alien combat skills. Great. So as a Hulk, we get a lot more into it. Uh, Obviously, she has the gamma mutate physiology, which includes physical transformation, superhuman strength, leaping speed and durability, regenerative healing factor, and gamma radiation slash energy manipulation and emission. That's a little bit rare for the Hulks, but they can do that, like, uh, gamma blast, you know. Uh, She is an excerpt combatant trained by Gamora. Jason Aaron's Avenger series gave her temporarily the powers of a Celestial for a time before she overloaded with Gamma Energy recently and burned it all off altogether during her uh, returned t- returning her to her classic She-Hulk form. She is immune to telepathy, which I'm not sure if that's Jen or She-Hulk or both, but that is also like Deadpool and Bruce Banner, her cousin. However, uh, a Screen Rant points out, this isn't to say that her mind cannot be altered. The effects of magic and pheromone-based manipulations have altered She-Hulk's free will in some brutal ways. Ripping Vision in half, for example. Marrying John Jameson for another. So telepathic resistance doesn't actually mean that, that much anymore, given She-Hulk and Hulk can be manipulated in other ways. She also is capable to do... Body Switching, rather, she did it one time uh, in Sensational She-Hulk number 45, uh, she was a captive of the scrolls, and her fellow captives, the ovoid aliens, taught her mind transfer abilities that their race is famous for. She used them with Wheezy and had this whole thing where they got stuck in each other's bodies. It was great. Chronal sensitivity is something that is fairly recent in Fantastic Four Reckoning War Alpha by Dan Slot, Carlos Pacheco, Rafael Fonteras, and Carlos Magno. she is told by the, T- the Time Variance Authority, aka the TVA, that that she has become chronally sensitive, able to see things which are dis- discordant... Which are different than the normal timeline. <laughs> when something is changed or feels off in the timeline, likely because of Kang himself, a chronally sensitive person is going to immediately recognize it and thus has a chance of stopping whoever changed the timeline to begin with. And finally, I don't know where else to put it, but She-Hulk did have a flying car for a while. From Sensational She-Hulk issue 7, she attempted to rescue the Star Blazer, which was NASA's first faster than light spacecraft, and she ended up being stranded 10,000 light years away from Earth. To help her return home, the alien owl Al and Ulysses Archer modified a 1959 Dodge with flight to get her home. The car had 28 appearances, starting in Sensational 7 and ending with issue 41. The different roles and occupations that Jen carries throughout this, the the series of her appearances, the the culmination of her appearances, I suppose. Uh, she has she has a number of titles. One, of course, private attorney. She has, as I have mentioned, law degrees from Harvard as well as UCLA. Uh, she worked for a long time at GLKNH, uh, which the H is now something else. I don't recall, but the uh, she also had the law offices of Jennifer Walters and a couple of other law offices that she has worked at. She has been a hero and adventurer. This was as an Avenger, a member of the Fantastic Four and her other hero teams. She has been a bounty hunter. After getting disbarred in She-Hulk Volume 2, Jen temporarily becomes a bounty hunter, tracking down people who have jumped bail. She becomes a team with Jazinda, the Scroll Princess. She has been a SHIELD agent. Jennifer She-Hulk was more or less conscripted into SHIELD after the passage of the Superhero Registration Act, when she was used to track down and capture unregistered supers. She has been magistra of the living tribunal in this took place in She-Hulk Volume 2, 7, and 8. This was Dan Slott's She-Hulk run when Jen was called on by the Living Tribunal to join the magis—oh, it's magistrati—I've been saying it wrong this whole time—who were judges, jurors, and advocates of the universe. She quit after being forced to observe a trial with Star Fox and pass judgment on a parallel Ultimate Marvel universe, though she did manage to prove her universe universes' right to exist alongside that other one. She has been a New York City assistant district attorney working under D.A. Blake Tower, and on the sadder side of things, she has been a mine slave uh, while she was a member of the Fantastic Four. She visited the Microverse, where she was separated from the team and forced to work in the old mines of Nuvidia, where she was given no food or water, and she was eventually rescued by her teammates. Now, as far as Jen's physical appearance goes, there has been quite a bit of variation. As pointed out by WriteUps.com, quote, "...the current Marvel handbooks say, and have said for some time, that Bruce Banner is 5'9 and 128 pounds, and that Jennifer Walters is 5'10 and 140 pounds." Well that presents a problem because in the original run there are a fair number of panels where they are standing next to each other and he was about half a foot taller than her. Every panel where we can judge where we can judge verifies that this is about right. She was presented as a small woman unquote. These days, the Marvel wiki says they are now about both 5'10 as their human forms, with Bruce still at 128 pounds and Jen up to 150. This makes sense in their human forms these days, as Jen's human form uh, has been casually enlarged over the years, and Bruce has gone through a, well, really so much unique trauma that he has kind of withered a bit, so to say. And we will be getting into commentary on her physical size through the years, a lot more at the end of this podcast. Here is just a list of her looks. Her first look was the original Savage She-Hulk look. It was simple and plain, Savage, you know, a petite female Hulk, smaller than her cousin, angry in the face. In Sensational, they made her prettier, lankier, bigger assets, if you know what I mean. Her first gray version, um, there were two versions introduced in Sensational number 15 big, ugly, and dumb, but then she returns to her sensational form just in grey color in issue 16 before fully reverting back to normal. The second grey version that comes later on in history is from Marco Tamaki after she dies at the beginning of the events of Civil War II and then she returns uh, in a new grey form with neon slits kind of around her body. Uh, Hulk volume 4, number 1 is where we first see that form and it lasts through issue one hundred and sixty one of She-Hulk. She gets Celestial juice in the Jason Aaron Avengers series in, uh, this is actually Avengers Volume 8, Issue 8, when the Celestials imbued Jen with an additional dose of gamma radiation, increasing the power levels of her Hulked-out self. The power-up affected Jen's transformation, making her bulkier and savage-looking once more. When she became Winter She-Hulk in an arc I didn't particularly like, she was very, very bulky like her cousin, and red with long blonde hair, Don't ask me Uh, And then her current look is more or less back down to her sensational form If a bit more muscular As Jen, she is physically larger than she's ever been Which I personally prefer Her costumes and fashion, there's been quite a bit. I'm going to have an image post that goes along with this podcast, so if you'd like to see examples of all of her costume, fashion, as well as physical forms, that image post is going to be linked in the description below as soon as I have it up for your reference. So let's go through the various costumes and looks that she has over the years. In her human form, obviously, Jen is very stylish, be it in professional pantsuits, loungewear, fancy night-on-the-town dresses, or even a variety of swimwear and undergarments. For the most part, reading her history is a great way to study the fashion of the era, similar to classic romance comics from back in the day, just like Jen's own future BFF Patsy Walker. Some people try to use this as a kind of excuse for making it okay that Byrne leaned so hard on the horniness of the sensational run, But let's be honest, Jen wasn't doing anything really special by being fashionable. Patsy Walker started in romance comics where readers wrote in with fashionable designs for her to wear. Janet Van Dyne was a freaking fashion designer by trade, for goddess' sake. Byrne didn't do anything special. He didn't make her a fashion icon in that sense. He made her a regular comic book woman. I have two articles in the sources below. One is about Janet specifically, and one is a listicle of the most fashionable women in 80s comics, where Jen is one of a dozen they picked out. Her being fashionable was not anything new or special. When she's an attorney, of course, she's always in a smart, stylish suit, As Savage She-Hulk, for the entirety of the Savage series, she wears what can only be described as a ripped-up slip. They go as far as to have Mike Vosberg, the artist, draw it connecting between her legs like underwear to avoid showing anything else. In fact, this white slip is the only outfit She-Hulk wears, period, until Janet Van Dyne gives Jen some new clothes in Avengers 222, but she isn't allowed to fight in them. She later has a simple green turtleneck leotard that she heroes in. Sometimes it appears as black or even purple or blue in some recolorings. In time, this evolved somewhat into a leotard with shorts and a blue u-neck, paired with boots in a, a variety of colors. Her sensational suit is kind of what I just described. It wasn't really a set design, but it was known for a purple unitard, sometimes with a turtleneck collar. This was an outfit that actually belonged to Janet Van Dyne. She mostly wore stuff that was def- designed to fall apart during a tussle due to the Japanese concept of fan service. When she was on the Fantastic Four, she originally wore a dark blue and uh, white suit with a high collar and white gloves. During the time on the Avengers and Dance Slott, she was mostly known as a purple and white leotard. She wore the Jupiter suit, which was developed by Tony Stark and NASA to regulate Colonel Jameson's newfound super strength. When She-Hulk's strength increased exponentially, Mr. Fantastic adapted the suit—sorry, the Jupiter suit for her use. The suit was destroyed when She-Hulk was attacked by Titania and powered with the power gem in She-Hulk number 11. As a bounty hunter, she wore purple pants, usually with a white top, uh, some purple details. It was pretty much it. Sometimes it was jeans. On the Future Foundation team, it was navy and red, uh, down with a fantastic four in yellow, or with, I guess, the four in yellow. Uh, In the Law and Disorder suit was the She-Hulk Volume 3 Charles Soul Run, where he had her in white and purple kind of workout look of sweatshorts and a tank. This was her only look that has had an insignia on it, an S on the chest. Uh, In A-Force, she had two different costumes. One was uh, designed with purple and white, with white collar and gloves, very reminiscent to her original Fantastic Four look. The alternate suit was kind of a full-body um, more like a latex kind of suit, but like somewhat MCU styled. And that was various shades of purple. Her modern suit is black and purple Kirby bikini. Um, let's call it the immortal She-Hulk suit. Uh, she doesn't wear it in her current series now though. Um, and then we had the Phoenix games Hulk, which was in Avengers, jason aaron's avengers the phoenix force saw a new host among a variety of heroes including she-hulk they battled it all out across the planet until echo won. but they each had their own schmancy phoenix inspired costumes and then as winter she-hulk when she was red she had pretty much just a white jumpsuit now let's cover what all of that immortal talk is all about Um, It was revealed in Immortal Hulk number 34 in June of 2020 that Jen is immortal, so this is actually canon. Um, In Immortal She-Hulk in 2020, the three deaths of She-Hulk were confirmed, shot by agents of Nicholas Trask, hit by a missile and killed by Thanos, and then killed by the Kodatai. It also confirmed that it was Joe Fixit, or rather the Joe Fixit persona, that saved her in a pinch, not Bruce. Something really important to understand about the Hulk in the comics is the Bruce... Banner basically contains multiple versions of the Hulk within himself and has been touched by Hulk personas, if not gamma-irradiated ones, since childhood. Joe Fixit is a classic Hulk persona who comes out to handle situations Bruce can't. And when he sees his cousin Jennifer laying on the ground, bleeding out after a drive-by shooting in front of her own house, Bruce cannot handle it. So Joe Fixit comes out, and he is the one to save the day. But Jen still dies, and that will be her first death. Not that she will be conscious. Not that she consciously faces it for quite a while later. But she does die, and when she dies, like all Hulks, she goes to the below place and is greeted by the one below all. Now we're getting pretty intense here, so to simplify this, I'll just say that. Um, This is a special hell, and the one below all is a special kind of Satan, just for the Hulks. We're going to go with that for simplicity. So he tells her, as he does all Hulks when they first see him, you bear my mark, aka she is gamma irradiated, basically. Her second death happens at the start of Civil War II, where she and a group of heroes went, went to try and stop Thanos before he really gets started, but it fails miserably, ending in the deaths of Rhodey as well as Jen. Before this death, she goes, or after this death, sorry, after this death, she goes to the Below Place again and speaks with her uncle Brian, Bruce's father. This is a really good issue to read if you want to understand why young, childhood Bruce developed Hulk personas as a defense mechanism long before he was ever irradiated. As a quick for example, uh, Brian, his dad, killed his mother. He then later died and came back as something awful and Hulk-adjacent, only to be defeated by by other Hulks and their allies. Uncle Brian and Jen talk, he gets really creepy, and she returns to life once again through the Green Door, which is offered to Hulks upon their death by the one below all, thus making them immortal. It takes them back to life. After this death, Jen feels broken and tainted, so she takes on a different look for the Mariko Tamaki run of 16 issues, with dealt a lot with her trauma. Her third death was when the Avengers believed the Kodatai to be their allies, but they were wrong, and She-Hulk's body was overridden with their plant alien life, killing her and making her their puppet. When she goes to the Below Place this time, she faces the leader, who's had some evil plan going on involving the Green Door, and he threatens her that if she dies again, he'll be waiting down here and won't let her go back to life. This has since been rectified and presumably the below place and its green doors are just waiting for more hulks to die and be utilized once again. After this death, though, Jen remembers her immortality, so she goes to some friends for her advice. Logan tells her not to look a gift horse in the mouth, very Logan of him. When she asks Thor about immortality, she does it as Hulk, not as Jen. But what he tells her is that no one has forever, which is pretty vague and be taken a few different ways. So ignore it or deny it. Not really good advice from either friend. In the time since she's returned to her sensational form and started a new series, unfortunately, there has been no mention of her immortality. The Green Door, The One Below All, or anything relating to the Immortal Hulk plotlines, really. This current series really is so much lighter, I, I honestly doubt if they'll ever touch on anything remotely immortal related. Now... Uh, all of this being said, there actually have been five deaths of Jennifer Walters, three of which were her being revived by the Green Door. So the first, of course, shot by agents of Nick Trask, revived through the Green Door. The second, though, was her killed by Dr. Doom with Beyonder's power during Secret Wars, and she was um, revived in Battleworld's medical chambers. And then she was buried alive later on, revived by Zapper with an extra dose of radiation. She was hit by a missile and killed by Thanos, again that was revived through the green door, and then killed by the Kodatai, also revived through the green door. We got some, actually quite a lot of uh, nicknames and aliases, which I have all the sources for. If you would like to check that out, it will be in the text post, but I'll just go through the list of names and aliases that she has. Hulkino, is I should point out, this doesn't mean that she approves of them. Hulkina, Hulkess, Holket, Green Queen, Shulky, Holka, Green Cheeks, Jenny Poo, Jenny, Miss Jenny, Freak Job, Green Jeans, Gamma Gal, Glamagal, Green Blooded Bimbo, <laughs> um, Green Haired Hussy, Hulking Harlot, Jade Jezebel. Notice all of these ones that are insults from women to to her are like clearly written by a dude. Shulk, Greenie, Lady Hulk, the second strongest one there is, Agent Walters, Ursao, Ghost Girl, Glamazania, Iron Hulk, Jennifer Smith, Jenny Jameson Walters, Mrs. Mace- Mrs. Jameson, Savage She-Hulk, Sensational She-Hulk, She Zenmu, Thunder Hulk, and Winter Hulk. Now, her basis of operations, this really ties more into her teams, but we'll go over to that later. Um, we have... Of course, the most obvious one being Janet Van Dyne's apartment in Manhattan. This is where She-Hulk lives. Uh, This was her base for the Sensational series as well the current series. In Avengers Mountain, uh, this is where the current Jason Aaron run has the team based at. Idea Hive Incorporated was uh, located at 68 J Street in the Dumbo neighborhood of Brooklyn in New York City. It's an entire building owned by Sharon King, who only rents its rooms as a residence or as a workplace for empowered people. This happens in She-Hulk Volume 3. Uh, It has also been the home of law offices of Jennifer Walter, Howard T. Duck Private Investigations, B. Yurick, and J. Drew Private Investigators, as well as the Patsy Walker Attempt Agency. The Gem Theater was her base in Captain America and the Mighty Avengers number 12. Sorry, two. The Gem Theater is located on 42nd Street near Times Square, one of the senior areas in Manhattan, and is often rented out by Luke Cage. The Baxter Building was her base in Fantastic Four headquarters of Fantastic Four 268 onward, and also the Future Foundation headquarters for Future Foundation Volume 2. Olympus Group Condo was her base in She-Hulk's number one. It was a condo established by the Olympus Group, where Jennifer Walters lives while undercover with Lyra. Donna's little trailer park was her base in She-Hulk Volume Two, Number Twenty Four. Timely Plaza in She-Hulk Volume One, Number Two. Timely Plaza is an office building located in Manhattan. It houses the superhuman law offices of Goodman, Lieber, Kurtzberg, and Holloway. Looking for revenge against the She-Hulk, Titania supercharged at the Power Gem raised Timely Plaza. Very few were actually injured, but Marley Book was crippled. Atlas Towers was her base in She Hulk Volume 2, Number 19, because Jen briefly stayed in Ben Grimm's suite while she was looking for a more permanent residence and while Ben Grimm was still in the negative zone. She worked out of a Shield helicarrier in Shield Volume 2, Numbers 14 and 15. The Excelsior apartment building in She Hulk Number 3, after Jennifer Walters, the She Hulk was kicked out of Avengers Mansion, she moved to the Excelsior, where many of the other employees, lawyers at her office worked. Or live, excuse me. Avengers Mansion was her base starting in Avengers Volume 3, Number 61. And finally, Four Freedoms Plaza for Fantastic Four 299 was a placement, replacement of the headquarters when their original dwelling of the Baxter Building was destroyed temporarily. Now, we also have um, a a good amount of alternate reality versions of Jen that have popped up uh, in comics. So, we have Earth-65, which is famously known as the home to Spider-Gwen. The Jennifer Walters of Earth-65 was a wrestler in the UCWF. She appeared on the cover of Rassel Magazine, and Gwen Sacer later hired her as a defense attorney for her trial. In the ultimate universe of Earth-1610... It was She was introduced in Ultimate Wolverine versus Hulk after being mentioned by her cousin Bruce in Ultimates 2. Dr. Walters works for S.H.I.E.L.D. performing super soldier research and development in the vein of her cousin, resulting in a Hulk-like transformation without the rage. For the zombie-verse, Earth-2149, she was already a zombie restrained by the Thing after eating Franklin and Valeria Richards. The Invisible Woman then proceeded to create a force field inside her head, effectively killing her and obliterating her zombie body. In the home to Cookies and Milk, which is Earth-9047... She's a hulk was a lawyer and a member of the offenders. She was not happy with her sentimental life in dystopia Earth 920 Zinner 0. Jennifer is called Shulk and her partner is Emile. The two combine forces to fight Maestro, but are continually defeated. She-Hulk, the Hulk, and the Abomination were utterly mutated by the nuclear fallout from a nuclear war, making them much more powerful and driving the Hulk mad, taking over the world and becoming Maestro. Shulk is killed by Maestro's vizier, Caspin. On Earth-X, which is earth nine 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 seven, she's infected by the Hydra creatures created by Norman Osborn as revenge against Nick Fury and S.H.I.E.L.D. for their lack of support of Osborn's presidency. She-Hulk's body would become the host of Queen Hydra. However, the circumstances that led her infection remain unrevealed. Like all who were infected by the Hydra, She-Hulk died the moment she was infected. On Arcadia, which is Earth-15513, uh, a recreation of what was once Earth-16191. She was leader and baroness of the A-Force, an all-female her- hero team. Arcadia is a section of Battle World protected by the A-Force. Uh, um, and there's a quote, actually, from... She-Hulk in A-Force, Volume 1, Number 1. In the vast oceans of our planet, isolated from the forbidden domains of Battleworld, there is an island. Our island is red roofs and friendly dogs. Green hills and blue water as heartache. Water blue is heartache. It is bells at dawn and bells at dusk, rising towers of stone and silver, clay and chrome. It is its people, the good, the bad, and all the rest of us, doctors and lawyers, teachers and thieves, scientists and artists, musicians and mystics, brothers and sisters in arms, heroes and villains, family and friends. In the shadow of the shield, with the sun on the sea, there is an island. Welcome to Arcadia. It's pretty tight. In Doom Universe, which is Earth-18466, she is an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. In Spider-Man Life Story, which is Earth-19529, she was likely one of the many superheroes who were left dead or missing following Doom's takeover of the planet. In Spider-Shadow, Earth-21619, She-Hulk and the other heroes aided the symbiote in chasing down Torch and Mary Jane, with She-Hulk aided by Marvel Girl's telekinesis. In the Wastelands, Earth-21923, which is the Old Man Logan universe, I didn't put a trigger warning in here, but trigger warning now, um, She-Hulk was ancestrally raped by Bruce because she was the only one who could handle bearing his children. Let's move on from that as quickly as possible. In Warzone, which is Earth-32323, after separation of the two sides, She-Hulk fought on the side of Tony with the Iron and began with a relationship with him is taken captive gets out and loses her powers in age of ultron earth 61112 jen was among the heroes and citizens in a refugee in a refuge from ultron sentinels which guarded the streets looking for any f- fugitives killed by ultron sentinels while protecting luke cage Ultimate End Universe Earth six one six one zero the incursion reality that kicks off the whole Battle World and Secret Wars event. Jen She Hulk is a part of the fighting in Manhattan and their reality ends up being wiped from existence. In Avengers Fairy Tales, Jennifer and Oz, which is um, does not actually have a temporary number, um, does not have a a permanent number. It has temporary reality number seven two one. Um, this she first appears in Avengers Fairy Tales number four, and more or less plays the role of Dorothy. In the Dark Ages series, uh, Temporary Reality number 891, several years after technology was wiped out by an EMP accidentally unleashed by Doctor Strange, She-Hulk becomes a prisoner of the villainous mutant Apocalypse. When a group of heroes come to stop Apocalypse from taking control of the superpower robot the Unmaker, Jen and a group of prisoners were sent to stall the heroes under the control of Purple Man, whose control was broken. And finally, we have Earth-A, or Earth-721. She was a tourist across the multiverse who came to Earth-616 and inherited the main universe's She-Hulk's powers. She-Hulk also appears across many animated and game projects. For animation, she is mentioned in the MODOK and Hitmon- Monkey TV series. Um... She is in the 1980s Spider-Man and Hulk cartoons. She's in Avengers Assemble, Hulk Smash, and Ultimate Spider-Man, all of which take place in the same reality. She also is featured in Marvel Superhero Adventures, Superhero Squad cartoon and games, Fantastic Four World's Greatest Heroes, various 1990s Marvel Action Hour shows, Animated Dystopia, Marvel Superhero Adventures, Frost Fight, and then a series of games. Ultimate Alliance, Avengers Alliance, The Lego Universe, Marvel Puzzle Quest, Marvel v Capcom, Marvel Future Fight, Marvel Heroes, Contest in Realm of Champions, Avengers Academy, and Strike Force. Now, as for characters who are related to She-Hulk, but aren't necessarily versions of her, um, or aren't in other universes, we have to start off with Lyra, who is from Earth 8009. Uh, She is the future daughter of Thundra and Hulk, who lives in an alternate version of Thundra's world on Earth 715, in which United Sisterhood Republic fought the savage men who opposed them. She is foreseen in all-new Savage She-Hulk number one. Adrian Lynn appears in Marvel Comics Presents 123 to 126. Adrienne Lynn was crippled in a deadly car accident. She tried to recover the use of her legs via experimental adrenal gland transplant. The treatment worked, but she lusted for more power and continued the treatment until she gained superhuman strength. She, seeking revenge against She-Hulk for putting her husband in prison, her name, which she now goes by, Adrenazon, disguised herself as She-Hulk and implicated her in crimes. After the serum caused her to have a mental breakdown, she began to believe she was the sensational She-Hulk. After a flashback, the serum overwhelmed her and she passed out. She blocked the sensational She-Hulk from being stunned by guards from the tombs. Later, when the serum had worn off, she accepted her husband's guilt from the sensational She-Hulk and went to his grave. The Hulk, or Codetai Hulk, was a version of She-Hulk that was actually just the Codetai alien mimic- mimicking her as she had actually been killed. Uh, Jennifer Walters of Heroes Reborn is from Franklin Richards' Pocket Reality. She forms a trio with Leonard, Samson, and Bruce called the Hulk Busters. Obviously, Betty Ross um, of the Ultimate Universe is the Hulk of her reality, 1610. Uh, we have Amazon Jennifer Walters, which is not... Jennifer Walters this is his um, clone created by the master of the world uh, during his efforts to control the world. Um, Amazon was the duplicate of She-Hulk. Then we have Red She-Hulk, who is, of course, Betty Ross, a.k.a. Red Harpy, a.k.a. Harpy. We're going to discuss her more when we get to Friends, Allies, and Villains. There's the Green Widow from Warp World, who is an amalgam of She-Hulk and Black Widow. There's the She-Clone, which is obviously a clone of Jennifer Walters, created by the Headmen for Chandu the Mystic. And then we have Jen Walters of Earth-9010, who is Jen the Gamazon. Um, And then we have a couple of characters who remind me of Jen, who are not Marvel characters, and that would be Big Barda, Wonder Woman, Batgirl, and Supergirl. This next section is relationships of Jennifer Walters, going over family, friends and allies, romances and enemies. Starting off with family, her mother was killed by mobsters, which was later retconned in Sensational She-Hulk to have that she died in a car crash due to a drunk driver. I like to think that it is a mobster drunk driver, so they are both accurate. Her father is Sheriff Morris Walters. He is an often tempestuous, they have an often tempestuous relationship. He is overprotective, controlling, and judgmental. He tells her early on in Savage that she wishes Jen had never been born. So yeah, massive yikes. He absolutely loathes She-Hulk when she first arrives on the scene, which drives him to be so reckless as to fire his weapon into a crowded public street to try and kill her. The relationship is made worse by Beverly Cross in Savage 15. By the end of Savage, he learns the truth of his daughter, Jen. From uh, the She-Hulk wiki, She-Hulk's relationship with men have been defined by her dual needs for independence and acceptance. These needs were evident in an often tempestuous relationship with her father, Sheriff Morris Walters. A widower whose wife had been killed by mobsters, Walters was overprotective, controlling, and judgmental. In response, Jennifer sought independence from her father while also desiring his acceptance. Sheriff Walters felt that the best way for Jennifer to live was for her to follow his values. However, Jennifer grew up perceiving the great areas of law enforcement, for example, for example she interpreted the events leading up to riots up to riots which occurred during her childhood very differently from her father although jennifer saw her decision to become a criminal defense attorney as a kind of homage to her father sheriff walters instead interpreted her choice to defend criminals as a rejection of his values End quote. Um, And then we have her cousin, of course, Bruce Banner, the Hulk. Their first team-up was Incredible Hulk 282 against Arsenal, the Living Weapon. And their first one-on-one battle was Sensational She-Hulk number 57. Moving on to friends and allies of Jennifer Walters, Jill Stevens has to be mentioned first. She is one of the only pre-Hulk friends that we know of for Jennifer. It is introduced in these. She is introduced in the second issue as her best friend and dies in the same issue due to a tragedy involving She-Hulk. Basically, she was mistaken for Jen, and Buzz Baxter tries to mess with her in her car, ensuing in a wreck that then kills Jill. Uh, causing great trauma for buzz who more or less knows that it's his fault jill was a writer for west magazine and wanted to be its editor and she had been friends with jen since childhood Patsy Walker first met Jen in Savage No. 14 when she first captures Jen and sends her to Otherworld in her magical cloak. Zapper reminds her that female superheroes need to stick together, so she decides to rescue Jen. They work together in the Herald's miniseries in the mid-2000s and reunite as BFFs in She-Hulk Vol. 3, 2014 when Jen starts up at the law offices of Jennifer Walters. Janet Van Dyne met Jen as avengers janet breaks the ice by designing jen a whole new wardrobe to wear as she-hulk then helps her find her own apartment in new york in avengers 232 she's a famous fashion designer so she gets to do stuff like that she-hulk slash jen remains a shoulder for janet to cry on during her ex hank pym's trial and official leaving from the avengers during Secret Wars, they go to each other for friendly comfort, and when Janet is seemingly killed by the wrecking crew, she almost manages to take the entire team out in her grief and anger, and it definitely would have done so if it wasn't for the last-minute addition of Titania. Janet once again came to Jen's aid in her current series, getting her a new part apartment and clothes once again. Carol Danvers was a teammate of Jen as Ms. Marvel, Warbird, and Captain Marvel while they were on the Avengers together for many, many years. They also have a pretty similar sense of morality. Carol a soldier, Jen a lawyer. They both have a thing for rules. They were on the same team in both Civil Wars, and her death at at the beginning of the second one was a major point to drive Carol even harder for her point. Carol has some anger issues herself, so nowadays the two love to spar it out together since they know the other can take it. Michael Morbius comes into play when Zapper, aware of Jen's she-hulk identity struggles, seeks out an expert in blood diseases. Morbius is who he finds and who uses his own experiments on Jen to help her be able to change back and forth at will. It's initially meant to keep Jen She-Hulk at bay permanently, but in the end, Jen takes what she can get. In In return, she defends Morbius in trial for murder and wins the case. Tony Stark and Iron Man first meets Jen's She-Hulk in number seven, when Iron Man comes down to find out why a Stark employee, Jacob Fox, has gone missing. Jen Walters, the lawyer, has already started the case against Tony, citing one of his robots going crazy on the loose, and stopped by She-Hulk, of course, as reckless and dangerous. Spoiler alert, it was Nick Trask, not Tony Stark. And thinking him an obnoxious playboy, but on that side, who can blame her? They've been fellow Avengers on and off for decades and have never had any kind of dates worth noting, but they are big sluts, (laughs) technically. Ben Grimm is a member of the Fantastic Four. Jen and Grimm first meet in Marvel 2-in-1, number 88. She takes his place in the Fantastic Four at the end of Secret Wars in the 80s. The two tend to have a bit of an understanding since they're both heavy hitters in strength and brute force in major superhero teams. She's later asked by Ben to replace him once more when the team goes goes to space and gets replacement heroes for them at the Future Foundation. Peter Parker's Spider-Man co-stars in her first non-self-titled comic for Jen, Marvel Team-Up number 107, in July 1981, which lands right between Savage number 17 and 18. The issue is about Jen taking her client into protective custody. When she is attacked, Spider-Man when she's attacked, drawing Spider-Man as well as She-Hulk. The attackers are a group of anti-men, women warriors. The story ends with the lead attacker and the client being killed. They remain friends through the years, Jen and Peter, and occasionally teammates but always allies. Much like Pete and Carol, people really have a theme for this combo. That being said, they have never actually dated. Monica Rambeau becomes an Avenger just after Den, uh, Jen, and they become fast friends. After losing her battle with Titania in Secret Wars, Monica is the one who finds and saves She-Hulk. In 2014's Mighty Avengers number 8, Al Ewing and Shitty, by Al Ewing and Valerio Shitty, Monica uses her powers an ability uh, to get Jen powered up with radiation. Gamma radiation. In Captain America and the Mighty Avengers number nine, the two talk about the times that they have killed as heroes and how that makes it hard to keep going, but they have an understanding and will never judge one another. Wanda Maximoff was a former Avenger when She Hulk joins the team. They aren't as close as Jen and Monica and Janet, um, but they still hang out as a group and are certainly friends. Wanda is the one who, on behalf of her career as a lawyer, put a spell on Jen to keep her identity a secret. The spell later starts to affect her transformation and powers, so it is removed. Jen wasn't immune during the disassembled events where Wanda basically fucks the other heroes into screwing themselves over. For Jen, she's driven to an intense rage to the point of actually ripping the vision in half. Jessica Drew um, technically met jen and the issue where jen becomes an avenger but the first proper meeting came after that jen uh she-hulk gives a pep doc to greer grant slash tigra or tigra when they're watching over a spider woman's body when she is it's a long story telling her that no matter what happens you'll find a reason to live that's what life is about she battles morgan lefay for jess's soul Winning out in the end with the help of Wanda and Starfox, Sue Storm, um, as soon as She-Hulk takes Ben Grimm's place on the Fantastic Four, Sue has a medical scare and it is up to Jen to save her. Jen also becomes friends with Alicia Masters while in that team, who is now the wife of Ben Grimm. Uh, Dazzler saves her from mind control in her first post-savage appearance. Lyra uh, was another savage She-Hulk for a time as well, when Hulk had when Hulk and company were introduced to Lyra, who was the future daughter of Hulk and an alternate reality version of the super-strong villain Thundra, uh, I don't really know if it's a right to say villain these days, but she was at one point. Lyra traveled to the pa- from the past to the past to become the new She-Hulk, though in a unique twist, being angry caused her to revert to her human form, whereas um, she grew stronger the calmer she got. Yeah, those, I made sure I got that right. Uh, Louise Mason, a.k.a. Wheezy, was the former Golden Age superhero, the Blonde Phantom. She makes a reappearance in the modern age in Sensational Issues, where she becomes a friend and somewhat sidekick to Jen She-Hulk. While she first appears as an older woman, Louise was kidnapped at one point by the Mole Men and was exposed to a mystic liquid that transformed her into her innermost self. Ultimately, the liquid rejuvenated Louise to the physical... To the physique and vitality of a 40-year-old woman, which is how she felt inside and how she remains. Betty Ross, um, she's kind of like a a friend, a frenemy, a friendly rival, um, due to the connections with Bruce, um, it it really, it's kind of complicated, Awesome Andy, a.k.a. Awesome Android, was built by the Mad Thinker when he briefly took over the Fantastic Four's headquarters within the Baxter building. Originally created as a villain device, Awesome Andy gets his own personality and after being defeated, eventually makes his redemption and more or less joins a regular human life. Andy meets Jen when she starts working for GLK&H. And we have Jazinda. the scroll is Jen's partner as a bounty hunter. Thundera joined uh, Jen's Lady Liberators in a fight against Red Hulk. She later takes some of Red Hulk's cells ensuing in Lyra. Howard the Duck met Jen in the Baloneyverse. And then we have Amadeus Cho, who restored She-Hulk's powers after finding her depowered by Tony Stark and tried to recruit her to his cause. He comes up with what they call Hulk Syndrome in that it has been implied that Gamma causes its host to develop Hulk syndrome. All Gamma people eventually show signs of dissociative identity disorder. Let's talk Jen's love interests. the first of which is Danny Zapper Ridge. His first appearance is Savage she hulk number two. He is Jen's boy next door, and in my opinion, a genuinely confusing character. He is clearly written to be a bit of a loser, an adult man living with his parents still in that day and age. He's drawn... well, he's a white man with a black afro and a thick mustache, so take that in whatever way you feel is right. Their relationship is also what confuses me, though. Um, Early on in Savage, it's made clear that Jen babysat him as they had been neighbors since childhood. She refers to him as kid, young, and in other ways that make it clear that she sees him as somewhat brother-like as a figure. It's Zapper who then first discovers Jen's secret as She-Hulk. They become somewhat romantically involved in Savage No. 15 after he saves her and her friends in 14, after which she tells him, or rather She-Hulk tells him, that she loves him. Since she knows of her secret identity, she usually remains as She-Hulk in front of him. In fact, she prefers it. It turns out before too long that She-Hulk loves Zapper and Jen loves Richard Rory. Interestingly, Zapper later becomes a doctor of blood disease himself. Now, Richard Rory, he is known as Man-Thing from the comics. He plops into Savage starting with the seventh issue and has a brief relationship with Jen after they immediately hit it off. When he first arrives, he's on a lucky streak and manages to save She-Hulk from the Pursuing Cops. And then meets Jen, who claims the Hulk went away. Their arc together involves Rich being sold a weird plot of land in the Florida Everglades, where he where the locals call it the Hacienda. There they gas Jen and claim and calm her out of the she-hulk form. He returns in Savage 13 and makes Zapper jealous by having to move in with Jen after selling his defunct radio station and lives with her for a time until a big argument with Zapper drives him off in Savage 17. He later returns at the end of the series to support Jen once again. John Jameson first comes into the She-Hulk story in Savage 13 when he's contacted by Richard Rory, a once fleeing of Jens. It turns out that he's sub-miniaturized, living on a single pearl of one of Jens' necklaces from her mother. They then finally meet in Savage number 14. They elope together in She-Hulk volume 2 number 9 to Las Vegas because of Star Fox. But not on John's side, he really does love Jen. But Jen didn't, so they got annulled. It's actually quite sad. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of Star Fox, they first properly meet when he comes to join the Avengers in Avengers 231. Joining in 232, She-Hulk propositions him and he stays the night in Avengers 234. In She-Hulk number 6 of her own series... Uh, I believe it's volume two, number six. Star Fox Fox is put on trial for seducing a married woman against her will with his powers, a.k.a. rape. It becomes a little bit ambiguous at that point if Star Fox had used his powers on her that first time they met, leading to them boning that very night. He claims he didn't, but the whole issue with his powers is that he can't really turn it off. And that's where the power, and where does the power end and the real human charm start? It's very complicated and there really isn't a solid answer for it. As for Luke Cage, he and Jen went on one date but honestly decided that it would work better with them as friends and teammates. Now Wyatt Wingfoot I have the most to say about because he's my favorite love interest of hers. He was created by Stanley and Jack Kirby in Fantastic Four number 50 in 1966, inspired by Olympic gym, Olympic athlete, Jim Thorpe, who was a member of the indigenous Sac and Fox nation, his abilities, according to the official Marvel handbook, it says Wyatt Wingfoot is a formidable hand to hand combat combatant with considerable athletic skill. He is a brilliant tracker and skilled at training animals. White Wingfoot is a fine horseman and motorcyclist and a skilled marksman. He really has no superhuman powers. He's just a superb athlete, highly skilled tracker, animal trainer, horseman, motorcyclist, dancer, and marksman. Um, after, As for his relationship with Jen Walters, let's see. After Chief Silent Fox, had been dead for several months, the the Kiwazi Council of Elders was about to make Wyatt Wingfoot the tribe's new chief. However, the coming of Terminus to destroy the earth and enslave humanity reminded Wyatt of his love for adventure, so he chose to decline the title of chief of his tribe, at least for the foreseeable future. Spending more time with the Fantastic Four, Wyatt grew close with their newest member, She-Hulk, who was replacing Uh, The Thing at the time and eventually the two started dating in Fantastic Four 278. Um, Then we have the events of the She-Hulk Ceremony series where She-Hulk wants to have a kid with Wyatt and they decide to get married and then they go on this great adventure and it ends with them uh, not being in a relationship but partying on good terms with Wyatt staying behind to support his tribe. Never apart from She-Hulk for very long, Wingfoot occasionally appeared by her side and they rekindled their intimate relationship over the holidays when She-Hulk stopped to visit Wyatt on on her way to visit her father in Sensational No. 36. A few weeks later, Wyatt returned to New York with her to attend some business in the city and stayed with her for some time in her apartment. For a time, Wyatt accompanied her in various adventures. Eventually, however, he felt the pull of responsibility and informed She-Hulk that he had to return home. That he was in fact leaving that night to return to his role as chief. She understood, and in a fourth wall break, it turned out that her comic had been canceled anyway, so in the end, they were all removed from the page and packed away in issue 60. In spite of their separation, Wyatt continued occasionally reconnecting not just with She-Hulk, both platonically and romantically, but with friends at the Fantastic Four as well, especially Johnny Storm. He participated in an archaeology dig near his reservation with both She-Hulk and Johnny, joined them while the Fantastic Four was active, and partnered with the Fantastic Four at least once more when his tribe was once again in danger, among other meetings he continued his on and off again romance and friendship with she-hulk throughout the years going on multiple dates with her although ultimately their relationship did not continue and they grew apart their once passionate romance evolving into a thing of the past official in mariko tamaki's hulk volume 4 things i believe that was issue 11 Still considered a good friend of the Fantastic Four, Wyatt seemingly roomed with Johnny Storm once more, attended Benjamin Grimm's bachelor party, and was present at the fairly private wedding of Ben Grimm and Alicia Masters. And fun fun fact about Wyatt is that he became the only other character, technically, in Sensational She-Hulk to be aware that he was a fictional character in a comic book the way that She-Hulk was aware. Uh, Now, Juggernaut had a... Brief thing with She-Hulk. Technically, uh, she denied it for a long time, but then it was shown in Uncanny X-Men 435, and later revealed as an alternate reality version of her in She-Hulk Volume Four, Number 21. Uh, she has the brief relationship with Thor uh, in Jason Aaron's Avengers, but she became concerned that he liked that he liked her just for her Hulk form, uh, not for Jen. Uh, that kind of got worked out, and then they just kind of just stopped dating. I don't really know what happened with that one, to be honest. Uh, Hercules was a longtime crush of hers, but then she decided that he is too much of a lug, but she still slept with him in volume four, number 30. And finally, Jack of Hearts, uh, they flirted back in the day, never really had a thing, but now that he's back, he is shacked up with her out of just need, honestly, so that's not really a romance thing at all. Now let's talk enemies. We have to start with Nick Trask, her first her first enemy and the antagonist of the first story arc and most of the Savage She-Hulk series. In Savage he was also the reason for her mother's death and for her father pulling away. Dennis Buck Bukowski first appears in Savage She-Hulk number two. He's a rival at her law firm. He's sexist, immature, cocky, misogynist, etc. He acts like a ladies' man, but deep down has a great jealousy of real ladies' men like Tony Stark. He's taken down a notch when he realizes that the death of of Jen's best friend Jill was actually his own fault, not the She-Hulk's. Ultima first makes her appearance in Savage She-Hulk number 9. She's the daughter of the Word, a.k.a. Jack Wordman, a man who is an antagonist in her first appearance and who can apparently make anything happen with the choice of the right words. Ultima is apparently his greatest achievement, having been able to raise her with his beliefs, making her into a superhuman. Ultima becomes an enemy when Jen is trying to free a member of the cult, a man Ultima herself is in love with. Ultima is is a spoiled woman who grew up a spoiled girl, so she becomes jealous, demanding Walter's pay. They first fight at her father's compound, then in the courthouse bathroom when Jen's transition transition shift forces her to run out of the court mid-session. She saves her desired lover, Randy, but her spine is broken in the process, and her father retires his colt to care for her. Titania's first appearance is Secret Wars number three, when Doom gives her power, and her first battle with She-Hulk is Secret Wars number seven. She is one of the most persistent and consistent enemies that Jen has through her entire years, and these days the two have kind of sort of come to terms with one another. Hawkeye, I put in the, in the enemy section for good reason, they never really got along from the start. I saw this one article talking about, oh, they're, they're like brother and sister because they really care for each other so much. No, they just seem to hate each other. That's There doesn't seem to be any brother and sister thing. They just hate each other. Um, In the issue where they become Avengers, Hawkeye pulls up in a cab and is cut off by a pink Cadillac, which is She-Hulk. When he gets out, they groan when they see each other as the other new member. Their not-so-friendly rivalry continues uh, throughout their time on the team together. He even calls her weak. Um, he calls She-Hulk Greeny, and she calls Hawkeye Robin Hood. It really doesn't help also that years down the line, he kills Bruce Banner with a special arrow, which granted was at Banner's request technically, and Jen has to be told about it after a not near-death, but actual death experience against Thanos. Thunderbolt Ross, aka Red Hulk, uh, was first battled Jen in King Size Hulk number one 2008 Thanos technically kills She-Hulk in Civil War 2, number 1. She's brought back in issue number 4. Gemini is a pair of twin heroes, Reason and Rage, who appear in Savage number 12 as two super selves in one. They have a host body that they share when together and a weird Lego-looking face. They're hired by the mother of a murdered girl in the Morbius trial that she won, who wants Jen to be punished. Ralph Hutchins has a vendetta against the She-Hulk and teams up with a doctor who wants to create basically more metahumans, and Ralph gets turned into Brute by the scientists to fight Hulk. He then continues to evolve into Seeker in issue 21, Radius in 22, Torque in 23, and Earthlord in 24. Manfred Ellsworth-Haller was Behemoth, originally Man-Elephant. Um, He said that he would capture She-Hulk, ends up just being beaten by her, and that in Contest of Champions, she fights Sabra of Israel. Now let's go over Jen's team affiliations, obviously starting off with the Avengers... Um, she joins the team in issue 221 alongside Frenemy Hawkeye. This was July 1982 written by Jim Shooter. Her time on the Avengers solidified her fun-loving but bullshit-refusing attitude. It was also the start of openly sexualizing her character in the second issue of the team having her totally undressed for a fight in her bra and panties. This likely continued, contributed to her becoming written like a bit of a bimbo for much of her time during the Avengers just like many other female super Of course, this means that she's abandoned her time as a lawyer during this period as well. She also gets manipulated by the team a fair amount, but on a more positive note, I found this quote from CVR. Being a part of a team environment helped showcase how She-Hulk differed from her cousin. Increasingly portrayed as an extrovert her loved action and the limelight, Jen quickly bonded over her teammates, forming a close friendship with the Wasp and a playful antagonism with Hawkeye. Her her first adventure featured the Wasp tending to dress She-Hulk in a typically garish costume and culminated in She-Hulk battling the masters of evil in her underwear. It was immediately apparent for both the Avengers and readers that this Hulk was unlike Eddie the team had seen. Before. End quote. They do have a little bit of a more positive take on it. <laughs> but the first her second her first outing with the team ending up in her underwear, I wouldn't I don't find that very funny. Uh, the last Defenders, she was led by Nighthawk with Blazing Skull, Colossus, and of course She-Hulk. The new lineup of Defenders comes as a result of the Superhuman Registration Act and the events of the Civil War, and they are assigned to New Jersey under the 50 States Initiative. She was on the Fearless Defenders in the 13-issue series by the same title, by Colin Bunn, with artwork by Will Sliney. Bunn said that the basic idea of the book is that Valkyrie is choosing a new team of Valkyror, and she's been asked to choose all these women from the heroes of Midgard instead of from Asgard. Her team members this time are Valkyrie, Misty Knight, Annabelle Riggs, Danielle Moonstar, uh, Warrior Woman, Clea, Nova, Elsa Bloodstone, and Ren Kimura. On A-Force, it debuted in May 2015 as part of of Marvel's Secret Wars crossover. It was created by G. Will Wilson, Marguerite Bennett, and Jorge Molina. She-Hulk led the team in the original series, and post-Secret Wars, the team consisted of Captain Marvel, Medusa, She-Hulk, Singularity, Nico Maruno, Dazzler, and Dazzler Thor, because that was a whole thing. She was also on the Fantastic Force Rumors started circulating in the early 1990s that Fantastic Four was to be cancelled and a new title called Fantastic Force launched in its place. At the time, the rumors were false, but editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics, Tom DeFalco, DeFalco decided that due to the amount of traction the rumor had gained that they should create a new comic book with the same title. Uh, We had Sylor was the leader, it's Franklin Richards. Um, Then Huntara is Tara Richards, Franklin's aunt from an alternate future. Then Vibraxis, a Wakandan with the power to generate vibratory space. And Devlor, an inhuman who could transform into a large ape-like creature. On the Fantastic Four, Jen joins the team chronologically in Secret Wars number 12, but we see it in the first Fantastic issue in Fantastic Four number 265, The House That Reed Built, when the rest of the team, minus the pregnant Sue, return after the thing quits in Secret Wars. This is April 1984, and this was written by John Byrne. Due to already being an adventure. The new Avengers leader Vision makes Jen an unlisted team member, reserved when she's busy, active when she's not. It is during this time that j- the team. Ju- this <laughs> it is during this time of the team that John Byrne started her on a journey of wanting to legitimize herself, proving she was aware of how much of a joke she'd previously be written as in Avengers comics. One critique that I do have for that is that he still kind of writes her. Um, well, first he writes her as being in awe of the minds of the likes of Michael Morbius and Bruce Banner, who she's already proven herself to be at a similar level of intellectually, um, which really she should be aware of. She doesn't give herself enough credit when she's written by Byrne. Also, a big problem with with Byrne's trying to make her less of a joke was that he is kind of the main person to see her that way. Like, look back at what I was saying earlier about She-Hulk's ceremony, he was the only one to see that interaction as a joke. Myself as a reader never would have seen it that way. I saw it as looking a bit of looking into the female psyche of her being nervous and flustered. And anyway, um, Byrne must have chosen to see her as a joke because he brought that narrative with him when he writes most of her stuff that he really puts his fingers on at all. Although one of the most successful Fantastic Four stories to spotlight She-Hulk has to do with um, the time that the paparazzi managed to get pictures of her naked, so just trauma. (laughs) She was on the Fearsome Four. Jen was joined by Howard the Duck, Nighthawk, and Frankenstein to stop Man-Thing in fear itself. Uh, She joined Future Foundation in Volume 2. She joined Heroes for Hire in 1996. Um, The Fantastic Four and the Avengers were presumably killed, so Danny Rand made this team. It was Iron Fist, Luke Cage, Black Knight, a new white tiger, Hercules, She-Hulk, Ant-Man, the original Human Torch, and even Deadpool. She was a member of the Hulkbusters, which was run by S.H.I.E.L.D., created after the Hulk was exiled from Earth. And Lady Liberators, the 2008 Hulk series, issues 7 through 9. This team of Lady Liberators was Thundra, Valkyrie, Sue Storm, Tigra, Black Widow, Patsy Walker, Spider-Woman, and Storm. On the Mighty Avengers in 2013... Uh, This new team was more street-level and was led by Luke Cage. The team consisted of Ronin, White Tiger, and Power Man, plus Blue Marvel, Superior Spider-Man, She-Hulk, Spectrum, and the Falcon. Um, When she was a lawyer, the most famous lawyer office she worked for was Goodman, Lieber, Kurtzberg, and Holloway, which is what we're going to be seeing in the show. Uh, they first appeared in She-Hulk number 1 in May of 2004, where Holden Holloway hired She-Hulk to be a lawyer for his law firm, but strictly as Jennifer Walters. In She-Hulk 21 in 2007, the firm becomes Goodman, Lieber, Kurtzberg, and Book. It gains its name from Martin Goodman, who was Marvel's first publisher. Stan Lee, whose surname was Lieber. Jack Kirby, who was born Jacob Kurtzberg, and Holden Holloway, appearing as the fourth member, uh, when she when he hired She Hulk. Then, of course, we have the law offices of Jennifer Walters, which starts in She Hulk Volume Three, Number Two, and consists of Jen, Patsy, Angie, and Hey Hey. Finally, The Seven Brides of Set was a funky one that happened in West Coast Avengers Volume 2, Number 4, in 1989. This last note I have, I wasn't sure where else to put it, but Jen actually has performed the fastball special, just like her cousin, with Logan, Hercules, Patsy Walker, Laura Kinney, and Robbie Reyes. She's also been thrown herself by The Thing, as well as Medusa. At long last, we have reached her character history. This is going to be a somewhat brief summation of Jennifer Walter's entire character history, starting with her birth in 1950, which who knows if that's still canon. Um... In Savage She-Hulk, Jen goes up against Nick Trask and on Core alongside Richard Rory and Zapper, with guest stars like Iron Man and Hellcat. Her control over the Hulk persona at this point is obviously brand new, so the transformations are both uncontrolled and painful. With the help of her allies as well as Michael Morbius, she gets her changes under control for the most part. She joins the Avengers in Avengers 221, where she is asked by Janet Van Dyne to join the team and gladly accepts. She joins alongside Hawkeye, immediately kicking off their relationship with a bad start. She stopped her practice as an attorney during this period to focus on being a full-time Avenger. When the original Secret Wars event happens, Jen is among the heroes taken by the Beyonder. This is where she first encounters and fights Titania, who had become a normal who had been a normal human until the Beyonder bestowed her with strong woman abilities. When the event ended, Jen wound up being asked by the Fantastic Four to join their team as a temporary replacement for The Thing. In her time on that team, she meets Wyatt Wingfoot, longtime friend and ally of the Fantastic Four, and begins their historic on-again, off-again romance. By the time her own sensational series would begin, they would have been split again. She leaves the Fantastic Four when the Thing returns to Earth and rejoins the Avengers. After a bizarre and painful adventure involving Nebula infiltrating the Council of Kings. the Avengers themselves disband as well. The only other Avengers at this point in the story were Thor and the Black Knight. In Solo Avengers number 14, Jen appears in front of the Supreme Court to oppose the mutant registration attack, always, a part, always an ally to that community. The Avengers were revamped with issue 305, including Jen on the team, but she split her time between them and her new day job, having joined the staff of District Attorney Blake Tower. There, she meets Louise Mason, formerly the superheroine Blonde Phantom, and discovered that Mason had convinced Tower into hiring She-Hulk so that Mason could star in her own comic book and thus avoid dying of old age. Mason is one of the few characters aware of being in a comic book the same way Jen is. She even has a space adventure at one point in her solo series, turning her into a she-zenmu. She then loses her job for Blake Tower in issue 10 of her sensational series, causing Wheezy to quit as well to help her start her own practice. Jen first becomes her grave Hulk version of herself when she and Howard the Duck have an encounter in the verse, another truly bizarre adventure made almost entirely out of food puns. When she is soon after imprisoned in space, aliens of the space race Ovioids teach Jenna how to use mental powers, which allow her to reach out to Louise for help. Unfortunately, her gamma powers interfere with the process, causing her and Wheezy entirely to switch bodies. In the end of these events over sensational She-Hulk 45 and 46, it turns out they cannot switch back due to similar Gamma interference issues, forcing them to go on to the Fantastic Four and Reed Richards for help. Reed realized the problem was that Louise was unconsciously unwilling to give up her new form. After a series of attacks, though, the transfer was successful and everyone was back in their regular bodies. Towards the end of the sensational run, She Hulk was attacked by a robot called Warzone, who infected her with a toxin that began removing her powers. She searched for the help of her old buddy Zapper, now a hematologist, but was killed by another villain, Rumbler, in L.A. due to her weakened state. Fortunately, Zapper was able to help and brought her back to life with an infusion of gamma rays. It. It turned out Zapper's father-in-law was in charge of sticking Warzone on Jen in the hopes that she would die and Zapper would forget about her. That obviously didn't work out, and the story ends with Jen in fact losing her powers, but then being given them again through a similar process to the original happening. Jen rejoins the Avengers after the events of Heroes Reborn in the 90s while also still performing her law career, rejoining the DA's office and assisting the the Defenders in the Order series. This is also around the time of Dan Slott's first She-Hulk series. On a mission in South Dakota with the Avengers, Jen is wounded and Jack of Hearts unintentionally absorbs her gamma radiation, almost killing her and forcing a brutal Hulk form to come out to save her, so to say. She then disappears for a number of weeks. The search for Jennifer Walters takes place on Avengers Volume 3, issues 72 through 76. The Avengers search for the rampaging She-Hulk, finding that she had destroyed a town in Idaho in an attempt to flee from Wanda. The Avengers wind up bringing out Banner's Hulk to try and subdue her, but the only thing that does stop her rampage is the jack-of-hearts basically letting loose and exploding all over the place, absorbing the radiation and reverting her back to her standard She-Hulk form. And yes, Jen is in a bra and thong during this whole fight sequence, Moving on from those events were hard for Jen, as she dealt with the guilt of all the destruction she caused during her rampage. Plus, she was again accused of influencing the jury in her favor in one of her cases, causing Tower to let her go one more time. While drinking away her sorrows, she meets Holden Holloway, who hires her as a lawyer for the Superhero Law Division— superhuman law division of the New York firm of Goodman, Lieber, Kurtzberg and Holloway under the condition that she would be Jennifer Walters working for them not She-Hulk to prevent people from hurting her in her human form scarlet witch cast a spell that rendered anyone from intending to harm She-Hulk capable of recognizing her as Jennifer Walters Jen continues to practice law, getting more comfortable at being both Jen and She-Hulk. She also realizes her strength as She-Hulk is dependent on her strength as Walters and starts to work out in her human form. Thus, she exponentially increases her powers as She-Hulk. The spell that Wanda put on Jen to keep her identity a secret is removed immediately when the superhero super here human registration act is passed thanks to one dr strange the spillhead started causing issues with jen's ability to transform and removing it seemed to fix those problems Around the same time, Jen suddenly and inexplicably elopes with John Jameson, who you may know as an astronaut slash the man-wolf, in Las Vegas, later revealed to have been the effects of the superhuman Eros, which were subsequently removed and the two were annulled to the heartbreak of Jameson, who really did love Jen. During the events of Civil War and the passage of the Superhero Registration Act, Jem Fernley stands on the side of Iron Man Tony Stark and registers herself as a hero. She's actually more or less forced to work for S.H.I.E.L.D. for a short time in this period as well as part of the Hulkbusters team. But as an attorney, she assists heroes and villains on both sides of the fight. She even goes after, go as far as to file a lawsuit against Peter Parker against her then-father-in-law, J. Jonah Jameson, which is actually her way of trying to keep the case tied up in courts indefinitely instead of moving forward and causing more issues for either character. Tony Stark injects Jen with Spin Tech, S-P-I-N, which inhibits her powers and knocks her out while turning her back into her human form. This is a huge breach of trust, very obviously, and really pisses Jen off, and she informs Stark that he's miscalculated. She Hulk would have just pummeled him, but Jennifer Walters has the ability to destroy him. This is when she first runs into Amadeus Cho, a young genius looking for allies of the Hulk. They agree to work together and after work together after both learning about the Illuminati sending Bruce's Hulk into space in secret. Her powers are restored temporarily by Cho, and then again by Stark to help evacuate the city. Upon the return of the Hulk, Jen has to take up with the other heroes to defend humanity against her cousin. After his beating, Tony tried to turn her powers off again, but Reed Richards removed the nanobots from her system, so she was herself again out of Tony's control. Just after, Jen is taken away by the Living Tribunal, the three-in-one of the Marvel Universe, to defend her entire reality against its replacement by the Ultimate Universe. The title she has at this point is Magistrati. Jen has an epic discourse to defend their continued existence, and eventually did succeed in saving all inhabitants from erasure. However, she chose not to stay and work for the Tribunal after that. In She-Hulk volume 2, number 38, it is revealed that rival co-worker Mallory Book is now in charge of the FWE, Fourth Wall Enterprises, which aims to destroy the She-Hulk and her reputation. Through some tricky events via Mallory, Jens end up disbarred after attacking a murderer she had previously defended. It all ended up being a trick, but still, consequences had to be had. Jensen's life after disbarment took an entirely new turn. Bounty Hunter, working freelance for Freeman Bonding Incorporated, which is actually a subsidiary subsidiary of GLK&H. As a bail enforcement agent. In all reality, it makes total sense for someone with her experience and physicality. As a bounty hunter, she meets and becomes allies with Jazinda, the scrolled daughter of Clert, the Super Scroll, not to be confused with Knurr, who believed himself to be Marvell. They're a great team because Jazinda sneaks around as Jen Walters, then gets back up from She Hulk when no one expects it because Jen is right there. We first see them together in She Hulk Volume 2, Number 23, after seeing Jen and She Hulk separate in the issue before. Sit. Uh, Jen and Jacinda team up for a good long while, leading Jacinda to tell her friends about the impending Scroll invasion. The two together go after Clerk, her father, the Super Scroll, who labors his daughter as a traitor and just about barely kills her before Jen convinces him to remember his familial bonds, and he leaves her to heal alongside Jen. When Mallory Book brings Jen back into the office officially, Jazz informs Jen that she's been captured by the government as a Scroll, and Jen takes a team of women to save her. In a flashback moment, or you yeah, got flashback a flashback—a moment to the 2008 series Hulk series, with its premiering of Red Hulk, aka Thunderbolt Ross. He went a little bit berserk as Hulks do, and Jen got a team of women together to try and take him out. It's honestly a totally sexy series of battle art pages by Frank Cho when he was still trying to prove himself, and the art is stunningly beautiful. The women in question were She-Hulk, Valkyrie, Black Widow, Medusa, Scarlet Witch, Wasp. Um Storm, Tigra or Tigra, Hellcat actually did some twice here, Spider Woman, Thundra, and the Invisible Woman. I wrote Valkyrie twice. Um, What a team, stupendous. But anyway, uh, back to where we are now, about a year of comics publishing later in 2009. Now the Lady of Liberators make a mighty return to save Jacinda, taken in by government agents. Specifically, specifically, this time it was Thundra, the Invisible Woman, and Valkyrie. The power of their friendship is so strong that it leads Mallory to quitting her position at FWE. During an incursion from Earth 8009, we meet Lyra, the daughter of Thundra and Bruce, niece to Jen. She comes from a future apocalyptic reality, and after fighting Jen in this one, is taken to Norman Osborn's Avengers, the Dark Avengers, as they were. Ignoring some weird breeding fetish stuff the writer put in, it is a fun intro to her character, and in the end, Lyra becomes an agent of armor, kind of like an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., While searching for the true identity of the Red Hulk, Jen slash She-Hulk is captured and held in stasis by Intelligentsia, who works for Red Hulk, basically. Lyra is the first to notice that she's missing and joins the Intelligentsia-funded Frightful 4 team as a double agent to get insight. She discovers Jen, and during the rescue, they spend a good deal of time bonding and filling each other in on one another's lives. Red She-Hulk ends up challenging them, and they eventually... Join in defeating the horde of Red Hulks in DC. After all this, Jen lets Lyra move in with her in New York for a while, and Jen even tries to have a romance with Wy- Wyatt's Wingfoot again. Incredible Hulk 612 finds Jen adventuring with Betty Ross, Bruce, Scar, Korg, and Rick Jones. During Fear Itself, Jen joins the team of Howard the Duck, Nighthawk, and the Frankenstein Monster to take on the Man Thing. Before the thing goes off with the Fantastic Four on another universal adventure, he invites She-Hulk back as one of their replacements, adding her her to the Future Foundation team alongside several other members. She remained a team member um, even after the news of the original team's supposed deaths, and again reunited with Wyatt Wingfoot, as well as working for Payne and Luckberg LLP. Now we're at the start of the Soul Run, and if you're keeping up chronologically... When the original team returned alive, Jen took Luke Cage up on his offer to join his Mighty Avengers team for a bit. Neither draw blasted long, as Payne and Luckberg soon revealed they'd only hired her for her superhero status and she leaves the company. After winning a case solo for a wealthy client, Jen was able to start her own law firm completely alongside friend and fellow hero Patsy Walker, aka Hellcat, and office assistant slash paralegal Angie Wang at her monkey, Hey Hey. Thus began the law offices of Jennifer Walker, Jen rejoins the Avengers around this time, leaving her to side with them in their conflict with the X-Men. She fights alongside Moon Knight and the Falcon, which ends up being a disaster, and thankfully the X-Men just send them home with their tails between their respective legs. By the end of this event, though, She-Hulk was on the winning side, the Avengers. When the cosmic entity Singularity shows up in their reality, having come from Battleworld, technically, she first approaches She-Hulk, then Medusa of the Inhumans. They gather a small group of female compatriots to fight an entity called Antimatter, but Alison Blair, a depowered Dazzler, is killed in the battle, leading Singularity to try and fight Antimatter alone. She-Hulk and Carol Danvers are among the group to save her and finally defeat Antimatter, and after another adventure on Astoria, Oregon, they get their team main, A-Force and their leader, the She-Hulk. When the Inhuman called Ulysses predicts Thanos' arrival on Earth, Captain Marvel thinks using this knowledge to stop him before he gets a chance is the right way to go. She ends up bringing her Ultimates team, plus the A-Force, including Jen as She-Hulk, to intercept him. But he is Thanos, so it backfires, ending up with Rhodey getting a hole blasted in his chest, and Jen mortally wounded. She winds up in a coma briefly, and before She-Hulk goes into cardiac arrest at the hospital later, she tells Captain Marvel to fight for the future. She then dies to be revived by the Green Door. When she wakes again, Carol has to tell her that her cousin Bruce has been killed by Hawkeye, and that the court found Kilt not not guilty, Guilty, or rather acquitted him. For Jen, this is trauma on top of trauma. Subsequently, Jen removes herself from the superhero community to focus on her life as Jennifer Walter's lawyer. Still, she found she struggled greatly with controlling the Hulk side of her after this, which would come out at any sign of the insanely rough PTSD that Jen was currently going through. This version of her Hulk was grey, like her original grey form, but with angry green slits like scars across the body. And like the original gray form, she was much, much brawlier and much less mentally acute. Here we have the Mariko Tamaki She-Hulk run, which I adore. Jen acts as attorney for Maisie Brown, an inhuman who accidentally summons a fear golem, which Jen beats, of course. With the help of a psychic called Florida Mayor, Jen is able to confront her past and recent traumas and return to being a green hulk in color. In 2008's Oh, sorry. In Jason Aaron's 2018 Avengers run, he brought in Dark Celestials, a.k.a. the final host, who tried to infect Earth with a horde of bug-like creatures through the bodies of already deceased Celestials. In the eighth issue, surviving Celestials give Jen a massive gamma power boost, causing her to turn into a more brutally burly form as her standard for the foreseeable future. Having gained this new look, Thor starts to crush on her and they even start dating for a while, which I guess just kind of fizzles off after a bit because it's been like two or three years since then and we have nothing. Uh, Meanwhile, during Empire, the Avengers, or Tony Stark really, is tricked by alien species the Kodatai, who had shacked up on the moon, into helping them start their invasion of Earth, which included them subduing and killing She-Hulk with plant matter from the inside out. But they got more than they bargained for when she discovered the Green Door again, this time thanks to the leader, and returns to life once more, burning the Koditai out of her system entirely and joining the fight with the other heroes. (laughs) mm <laughs> Later, the Winter Guard captures She-Hulk and tortures the ever-living fuck out of her until she literally turns into a savage Red Hulk. We later discover that Jen actually allowed herself to be taken this way in order to see that what they were up to, but that really didn't make reading it any easier when it was happening. It was just lazy writing. But anyway, the Russians want to bomb Atlantis and make it look like She-Hulk did it, so Jen summons her Avengers teammates uh, and takes on the Red Widow herself, overcoming her brainwashing. That was actually a Line they use overcoming her brainwashing. It just sounds. It just sounds lazy. <laughs> the bomb goes off anyway, though, forcing Jen to absorb all its megatons of radiation. She makes it back to Avengers Mansion in time to release the radiation safely, fizzing down to her classic sensational look once again. And now. Jen has rejoined the legal force after getting a job with her former rival, Mallory Book, as long as she, quote, keeps the superhero stuff out of it. With the cape back in the legal system, there are all too many caped clients looking for representation, and the now deceased, well, the, and the once deceased Jack of Hearts has made a mysterious return as well. And maybe my favorite part, she's back in Janet's apartment and has made good with Titiana. Titania, oh my God. The power of female friendship persists. Now I would like to cover some things that I'm going to call personal notes that I noticed and just wanted to note uh, while I was making this special. First, I did find a wild amount of sexism in articles speaking on Jen and her Hulk persona, especially from male comic readers who you very much get the vibe are pushing so hard for accuracy to the original works that they're sacrificing Jen's own respectability while they do it, ignoring the development that she's had over the years. And for the older articles, they seem to have very little imagination when it comes to any potential future for her character in the growing MCU. I imagine they're eating their words now. Honestly, they're more likely doubling down. Um, I also have an article on my blog that I would like to point out. Um, I'll have it linked below. It's called, like, the Marvel superheroines taking back their powers or something like that. But I'd like to mention it here, just a quote from it. It says, As I get older, I start to see in myself some of the characteristics Jennifer Walters sought to rid herself of by becoming this new version of She-Hulk in the comics. In a world run by men, where women are supposed to fit certain roles by being anything being anything other than what any everyone wants else, being anything other than what everyone else wants you to be, it can make you feel like less of a woman—not pretty enough, not fit enough, not smart enough. Too smart, too loud, too quiet, too happy, too angry. Personally, I don't fear the judgment of others; I fear the actions they take based upon those judgments. Always feeling the need to explain your actions and motivations, like the world is expecting you to. Tr- to be trying to get away from something instead of just living your life. No one would dare expect these things of Jennifer Walters' She-Hulk now. Um, There was also an interesting point in her history after Civil War. Um, Some articles noted, Jen realizes that she herself is addicted to being She-Hulk. Mallory forces her to admit that she had a long list of sexual partners as She-Hulk. This is, to me, really brings up the personality change that Jen goes through when she goes from Jen to She-Hulk, and not just a physical change. Um, In She-Hulk, Volume 2, Number 30, it says, She-Hulk then broke her personal vow to refrain from playing sexual pinball by sleeping with Hercules. On the one hand, yes, being hot feels great. Knowing you're wanted, knowing you look good, it can be a bit of a drug in itself. That's where the whole feeling-yourself vibe comes from. So yes, of course She-Hulk is a bit of a sex nut, especially when compared to Jen. But like most pleasures, sex can be considered a drug due to the pleasures our brain gives us during sex. So her kind of taking a second to realize that she is a bit of a sex addict is significant, in my opinion. And honestly, I'm pretty sad that it hasn't been expanded upon. A lot of the biggest critiques... Uh, from the slot and burn eras is what a sexy plaything she is, and maybe kind of saying she, as She-Hulk specifically, is a sex addict, kind of really superfits her characterization in that sense. This next point, I want to talk about uh, what I'm calling the Musa-Mami Renaissance, and how um, I, it really seems that there has been a lot more of, of like, um, like, what is it that gay lady, Domatriscu or whatever? I don't know how to say it, but um, she's a very large, scary woman, and it seems to be very popular now that the larger women are becoming more popular. That could just be society being louder about that kind of thing. Who knows? Uh, there's also the joke about... Um, you know, male fantasy characters versus female fantasy characters. Male characters are always big and bulky, made to look like male power fantasies. Female characters are always petite and curvy, like a, a human cosplaying the male version. They're meant to look like male fantasies of a female This goes along with the jokes about fictional characters and costuming where the female version is usually more revealing than the male version. And saying things like Conan and Hulk being shirtless doesn't quite work because again, those are designed to look like male power fantasies while the women are also designed to look like male fantasy items. If you were going to make it equal, put Bruce's Hulk in a turtleneck or in sleeveless leotard the same way Jen is, or just put Jen in shorts. If you don't think having a topless woman in board shorts can't be scary and masculine, just look at the latest issue of Immortal Red Sonia, where she removes her top and fights in her tan shorts, and looks like an absolute beast while doing it. It very much would be the equivalent to Bruce's Hulk's look and vibe. I'm I'm just saying, I'm not saying they're gonna do it. I'm just saying topless Jen would be accurately brutish. Anyway, um, So what is the excuse for her being so much smaller than her cousin? I went through multiple articles finding people's ideas on this. Uh, One, because she was created with a purpose to secure the IP of a possible female TV hulk, which back then would have been an actress in green body paint. Okay, not bad. Okay, not bad. This guy says, in reality, women have the same potential for muscular growth as men, taking into account the muscle they start off with. So given that Jennifer Walters is fairly tall, according to some random Marvel wiki, and Bruce Banner is supposed to be a shrimpling nerd, his words, shrimpling nerd, you could theoretically see a real-life Jennifer Walters out-muscling Banner if they both took up bodybuilding. He's got a good point there. I also have an article that I'll link in the description. Um, it is Menno Hanselman's uh, article breaking down why it is a myth that women can't gain as much muscle as men. Another person suggests the idea that Jennifer is small and an unappealing girl. When she transforms, she becomes big and tall and hot. They believe that would appeal to boys and girls like some kind of female fantasy. Mm, weaker. She couldn't get angry, as another guy says, she couldn't get angry like Banner and he only has the absurd amount of rage because of emotional traumas. Her size was limited by her anger and how she never got angry enough to lose control and she'd only grow if she did that. If we go with that, I guess we're saying that She-Hulk has always had the potential to be as big as Bruce's Hulk, but just retains her control over the form better but if that's what we're going with, that makes me wonder about her Gray Hulk form, which was savage and, bru- savage and brutish, but was just grey. So why the differentiation? I'm actually asking here because I couldn't find an answer. That's where I left off at. Why is she so much smaller than her cousin? Is You could say it's the whole anger thing and how she's just not as angry, um, but then this, the grey form is always going to be the catch. Um, Now, finally, my last note on John Byrne versus other writers. Byrne's issues of Sensational tended to be a very light fluff reading with fan service in the Japanese sense covers. Um, And then you go to look at Sensational 19 and 20 by Louise Simonson. The cover is a joke about jizz, to be honest, but it's subtle-ish, clever even. It's funny in the literal sense of Spider-Man getting webbing all over her, as well in the sense of what it is alluding to. Byrne gets far too much credit in in making Jen the successful character she is today, because he was only one hand out of dozens of creators who put her on the map for Marvel Comics. And that leaves us with predictions for the She-Hulk show. Now, um, Marvel previously wanted to do a She-Hulk movie starring Bridget Nielsen, who had previously filmed a movie for Marvel Comics and MGM's The Red Sonja, and they felt she was the best candidate for the role. Not finding success in the U.S. investors, Marvel took photos to pitch the idea overseas to find little interest there as well. Alas, the only real interest found in the comic book readers who discovered the photos uh, printed in magazines at the time. Another live-action She-Hulk project was developed in 1990 with vol- player, vol- player, pl- volleyball player Gabriel Reese starring as Jennifer Walters with Bill Bixby reply- reprising his role as the Incredible Hulk. A series pilot was never filmed, however, the plans were eventually canceled. Now, finally, however many years later, She-Hulk is finally getting the show she was somewhat technically created for. Now, on the whole thing about size matters... Visual effects artists were allegedly told to downsize their original designs for She-Hulk in her Hulk form for the Disney Plus show. In a now-deleted tweet, one creator says, I was at a company that did visual effects for this. Apparently, she was bigger early on, but the notes kept saying to make her smaller. We always roll our eyes like we did on Sonic, but at the end of the day, artists gotta follow orders. I do have my theory that I've already mentioned, that she's going to end up in a completely different form by the end of the season, if she's still on planet Earth, that is, because she could be with the Living Tribunal, the TVA, with the Scrolls. there's a lot of options here. So let's talk about the first episode, and again, this is going to be the, the clip that I had in my regular podcast episode, I'm just going to add here. Let's talk episode 1 of She-Hulk Attorney at Law. This episode premiered on Disney plus on Thursday the 18th, it was 38 minutes long and it was titled a Normal Amount of Rage. This little discussion that I'm doing is going to be found originally in episode 76 of my regular podcast. I'm also going to be posting this segment in the end of my uh, August Yancey Street special, which will be out today as well. Um, And this is going to be covering, well, it's going to be titled The She-Hulk Companion, because it is going to be covering absolutely all of the information that I was able to scrounge up from the internet about Jennifer Walters, aka She-Hulk. So make sure you check out that entire special episode as well. But for now, this is going to be covering just episode one of the live action show. Uh, There's also going to be a link for merch if you're into merch. I found a link for official show merch that you can find in the description of this episode. So starting off here, uh, we start off the episode with Jen practicing one of her lawyer speech arguments, opening or closing arguments, who knows, in front of Nikki and Buzz, who they call Dennis because that is his actual name. Nikki, it turns out, is not fake. That was my theory. She is a paralegal in their office, but I'm feeling that there's something else that'll be a twist for her character, or rather, I hope. And obviously she knows that Jen is a Hulk now too, since this episode starts with her already as a Hulk. And then we get a flashback to the story of how we got to today. Now my thoughts about Nikki right now, if she's a paralegal, is she going to be the show's Angie Huang, uh, who is a psychic paralegal who works for the law office? of The law offices of Jennifer Walters in the comics. As for Buzz, he doesn't seem to be really an enemy at all. Just kind of like a, just kind of an annoying coworker. They're clearly friendly, whereas he was awful to her in the comics. Um, but I guess if he was like that IRL, he probably would not have made it that far as a lawyer in a professional setting. It's also interesting that we're starting off here. With Jen going up against GLK and H in this first episode, which is something that the trailers led us to not suspect at all. She likely will end up working there though, and that will be where we run into all the other superpowered people, yada yada yada. The flashback to her getting her whole powers takes us a few months back to a car trip with Bruce. Obviously, the tone of uh, one of the biggest changes from the comics here is that she gets her is how she gets her powers or rather how she gets Bruce's blood into her system. In the comics, Jen is going up against gangster Nick Trask at her job, so a couple of his goons come along and shoot her in front of her house in a drive-by. Bruce happens to be visiting, and in the emergency situation, he is forced to use his own blood to give her a transfusion to save her life. They likely made this change because it is pretty sketchy doctor shit to have Bruce do that in the show, but I still think the choice to do it the way They did is still a little bit odd. The car crash, though, was caused by a ship from Sakar, but it ended up looking like we aren't actually going to see more about it until the series is over and Bruce goes on to appear in something else, which I guess makes sense. Uh, You know, they don't want the whole series to be about Bruce and all his BS, but I was still kind of hoping that there would be some paternity lawyer jokes surrounding him and Jen, although I guess we can get that in the future as well. So anyway, but I guess one thing that we can take away from the ship appearing uh, here is that they really, really don't like Bruce slash the Hulk because they obviously did not stop to help when his car went off the cliff. So is this grandmaster? Um, he was ruling Sakar, but not anymore. Is this Syra, uh Scar's mother, or is this Scar the child of Sayara and Hulk? I don't know if even Marvel knows right now. They're just giving us a little tease. But before the crash, we do hear Bruce telling Jen about the device on his wrist, which is basically a Hulk inhibitor to prevent him from hulking out if anything too crazy happens. So when they crash, the inhibitor breaks, of course, causing him to tell Jen not to get too close. When she comes over to help him out of the wreckage, she cuts her arm. His blood gets on hers. She transforms. Next thing you know, she wakes up in a forest in the middle of the night, Dazed and confused, she finds a honky bar and goes to get cleaned up in the bathroom. There are some girls out for a party who stumble into the bathroom and see her, and there's really a quite touching scene about women supporting women as they go in on her for a total clean-up makeover. Is it cliche? A bit. Cheesy? A bit. Freaking enjoyable? Completely. And it does make sense, uh, it it's sadly realistic <laughs> when the next scene is her trying Jen trying to get her bearings outside the bar, and then she is catcalled and creeped on by a trio of dudes who are, of course, much larger than her. They must have told one of these guys to project real, you know, molestation vibes because he wasn't even smiling. He was just like leering. True stalker stuff, but anyway, um, they won't leave her alone, so of course, the Hulk comes out of her, and unfortunately, before she can kick their asses, uh, she is taken out cold by Bruce's Hulk. This next time she wakes up, by contrast, she is in paradise or Mexico specifically. At a base Tony left to Bruce, it is the same base that he used to change himself into Smart Hulk for the first time. Jen takes a moment to wander through the house before discovering her cousin in the basement where there's a whole lab set up uh, and Smart Hulk is down there himself as well. Notably, we do see a partially destroyed Iron Man mask as Jen goes throughout the bungalow, making it pretty clear whose house this was originally. Jen talks to Smart Hulk, as he calls himself, and we find that apparently both Jen's parents are still alive. This is super noteworthy because from the comics, the death of Jen's mother at the hand of Nick Trask agents is a major turning point in not only her life, but that of her father, Sheriff Walters. Now I do have to pause here and add that they changed this continuity to say that she died in a drunk driving accident during the end arc of Sensational She-Hulk, but I like to think that both can be true. Uh, The driver was a drunk Trask agent, you know. Uh, So Jen's father ended up turning to his work as a policeman, Jen to her studies, uh, narrowly avoiding a deep depression by becoming the best at her schooling, and her and her father's relationship became extremely strained, made things very complicated when Jen became a Hulk. So I find it quite interesting now that they're both alive in this current timeline of the show. It does maybe think that Marvel is saving them to use in a probably sad arc later on. Now, as Bruce explains to Jen what happened over the last day or so, he tells her that while she got a lethal dose of gamma radiation, she isn't dying because the two of them share, I got this quoted, share a rare combination of genetic factors, is what he says, that allow them to synthesize the gamma radiation into, again, quote, something else, which I guess is like power or something. Um, But with Jen's blood, though, it seems to be a little bit different. The way her body body synthesizes Gamma, Bruce used it to heal his gauntlet frimed arm completely, and it helped him get back to his full Smart Hulk persona again. He also makes a show of incinerating her blood samples, which I can't help but feel is foreshadowing to someone getting a hold of either her or Bruce's blood and doing something nefarious with it later on. Maybe that's how we get the leader, who knows? He does tell Jen that she can't use a device like the one that he had and broke because it was a prototype tuned to him specifically, so that's a no-go. Instead, he's going to train her himself, he thinks. He also thinks that it's going to take 15 years, no joke. Uh, But thankfully, Jen is not like him. They start the training with the spinny blades that we saw from the trailers, and after she hulks out and destroys it, she breaks down the door in his Hulk-proof chamber and just leaves. Bruce immediately thinks that she's about to go nuts and starts trying to calm her down like someone would have previously done with him at one point. But Jen is just Jen, leaving Bruce in shock. She seems to be herself in this persona, which again only leaves me to believe that we're going to find out she actually is very different as She-Hulk versus as Jen Walters, or someone will mess with her and make her savage. I don't know, something. Still, Bruce needs to feed his need to teach people things, and uh, be better than them at stuff, so he insists on doing some training with her still. Go training montage. We do get another mention of Sakar when Bruce says, uh, that one time that he was stuck in outer space for two years as the other guy, which is obviously referencing him being a gladiator on Sakaar, uh, so another little tease there. Bruce continues to do pretty much everything he can to scare Jen out of going back to her normal life, including giving her a killer hangover, but Jen remains to be fine. She proves it to him again and again until she finally just lays it out for him. She's going back to her life. She isn't like him. She isn't going to be a superhero. Again, this is just more foreshadowing. We get a big hold flight, blah, blah, blah. Uh, They break the bar. They fix the bar. Jen goes home. Good. We are caught up now. So, back at the big case with Jen going against GKL, GKL, ooh, and H. Jen doesn't even have to uh doesn't even have a chance to properly start her statements to the jury before Titania comes busting through the walls. Possibly, notably, Jen had just told us that one the only ones who know. Uh, her secret are Bruce, her parents, us, and Nikki. So not anyone else in this courtroom. But here Titania comes busting in like she's looking for someone specific to fight in a courtroom with normal humans in an unrelated to her court case. This is clearly a setup. Jen gave or Nikki gave Jen a publicity stunt to play into. I can guarantee this. So yeah, Titania busts in. Nikki immediately and very enthusiastically goes to Jen to tell her to do her thing. She does not hesitate in any of this. Of course, Jen does, because this is a big deal. This is her big secret. There is no going back. Nikki knows there isn't time to debate it, because she hired Titania to fight a new tough lady, the She-Hulk, and the She-Hulk needs to show up. Also in the trailer, Nikki says that Jen gets... Nikki gets... Nikki says that she gets Jen the job at G, L, K, and H., Um, And the H of that title is currently sitting in that courtroom watching all of this go down. So that's how Nikki gets her the job, by outing her as She-Hulk to everyone, basically. The fight is extremely brief, almost identical to their battle in Solo Avengers number 14, because surely Nikki sold Titania on all of this by making her think that she would win, no question. But she's out in seconds, just like Jen's new secret. Or old secret, because it's not a secret anymore. (laughs) And of course, the post-credits scene, which takes us takes us back to the island on Mexico or whatever it is, where Bruce has bored Jen so badly that she manages to get him to tell her Sue Steve Rogers' first was by faking being wasted. Good job, Steve. We're proud of you. Uh, It does seem, based on this episode, that we're pretty much going to skip over the whole Savage comics arc, which makes me suspicious that maybe we'll see elements of it pop up in her later appearances. Because again, when she first transforms, Jen has a hard time with it. The transformations are not only uncontrolled and triggered almost constantly, but they are incredibly painful for her, leaving her in a weak daze every time. That's why we eventually get Michael Morbius, the living vampire, who she encounters and ends up giving her what he was going to take for his vampirism, leaving him, I guess, without the ability to make more, but it pretty much saves Jen from being destroyed by her whole transformations, balancing her out to be able to transform more or less at will and without the incredible pain. They do say savage, though. Um, towards the beginning of the episode, Nikki calls her the savage Jen Walters, or rather says she has a savage Jen Walters look. And again, this is after she becomes a Hulk, so I think that does technically make it an official Easter egg. And Nikki may not be imaginary, but she definitely set up Titania uh, into busting into their courtroom for Jen to fight as She-Hulk. I, again, she was way, way too enthusiastic for any of that to feel natural. The song featured in the end credits right after that fight is Who's That Girl by Eve, which is pretty fun to have in there. Um, and then I also found the last thing I want to say, The la- I found this article from Variety, which you'll see linked below in the description. Um, and based on everything that they say in that, it sounds to me like the end of the series will have a different status quo from the beginning. Basically, they talk about how the most... Um, Most of the training and origin that we see for Jen in this first episode was meant to be held off on until episode 8, almost the end of the series. Then they say that in changing it to be at the beginning of the series, they had to go back and change the CGI drastically. What that tells me is that the way Jen looks at the end of the series is going to be different than she does at the beginning. So fingers crossed that we get Jen in her savage form sometime soon. Now that we've gotten all of that out of the way, who do we think is going to be introduced, or rather can be introduced to the She-Hulk show from the comics? Um, obviously, the first one being Nick Trask. He, he abused the gangster who really goes up against the entire Um, For a series, the Savage She-Hulk series, he was the one who killed her mother or was responsible for the death of her mother. He would be a really great villain to throw in here um, as a throwback to the Savage series, especially since they're doing so little with the content of the Savage series. Amadeus Cho, a.k.a. Bronn, formerly Totally Awesome Hulk. We've already talked about the connections that he has with Jen from the comics. He's definitely up there and a member of the Hulk family. Louise Grant, also known as Blonde Phantom, she was a golden age comics heroine who had a pretty strong role in the Sensational She-Hulk series. We also know that Jen has a connection to the locals, the can have a connection to the Loki series, I should say, through her comic connections to the TVA. In the comics, when she tries to warn another reality's version of Hawkeye about his future death, the TVA puts her on trial for it. She also has a connection um, to the Living Tribunal, her role as the magistrati for the tribunal. Obviously, that's something that they could potentially bring in. We've seen the tribunal very briefly a few times now. Jacinda the Scroll obviously could be another one. They are co-bounty hunters together, and she is a scroll with huge importance uh in the secret invasion. Um Storyline, which is coming up as another Disney Plus show next spring. And then there's Angie Huang, who is the paralegal at the law office of Jennifer Walters. And I can't help but wonder if that is what Nikki's character is going to be a little bit based off of. Um, and she does have the monkey, Hey uh, Hey. We could also see a reappearance of Foggy Nelson or Karen Page from the Netflix Daredevil stuff, obviously, since we already know Matt will be back as Daredevil at some point in this show. Uh, we can see the return of Jessica Jones or Betty Ross. Obviously, Jessica Jones by Kristen Ritter was from the Netflix stuff, and Betty Ross from by Liv Tyler was from The Incredible Hulk. We haven't seen her since then, but I would have loved to see her as a uh, Red She-Hulk or as Harpy. That would have been great. Uh, there have been rumors that we might see Ben Grimm, and he would kind of make sense as a member of the Fantastic Four to appear here because they are both the like strongmen of their teams, and they do. Uh, she has replaced him twice now on Fantastic Teams. Uh, the idea of Scar or Sire—I've already kind of gone over it being um. Hulk's son and baby mama from the Planet Hulk storyline. Uh, we can also see Doc Samson, um, who uh, he was in the Incredible Hulk movie, actually, played by Modern Family's Ty Burrell. Uh, we can also see the leader who was also in the Incredible Hulk movie, played by Tim Blake Nelson. His name is Sam Stearns, is the leader. We could see J. Jonah Jameson, who we saw most recently in Spider-Man. Uh, we know that, obviously, John John Jameson, who we could also be seeing in the series, is the one-time husband of Jennifer Walters. So maybe John Jameson comes in to uh, get Jen an interview with his father. Who knows? And there's also Star Fox, who she has a complicated minor history with. And who we have also already seen played by Harry Styles in the MCU uh, in the Eternals movie. So, again, another potential character who could make an appearance here. Um, Absorbing Man is Titania's lover at various points in the comics. Uh, Greer Grant, a.k.a. Tigra, is an ally of Jens through many teams across the years. Howard the Duck is always a fun one, of course. And is it possible we might see Morbius could it be Morbin time? I can't believe I just said that. Um, but that wraps up this special. Those are all the things that I have to. I mean, there's tons more characters who could be introduced from the comics. Let's be honest. Um, but those are the ones that I want to see. That I would really like to see. After all of this tons of research on Jennifer Walters, aka She Hulk. Um I have oh gosh let's see actually let me change my formatting real quick I have 27 links of sources below um because I am all about transparency and um so here it is there's a, anywhere that I got if it's not Marvel comics um, uh, these are the articles that I would have gotten any of the information that I have talked about on this podcast from. Um, so I hope that you have had all of your Jennifer Walters She Hulk questions answered. Um, I hope that this podcast has been enjoyable to you, and definitely be sure to check out both my regular podcast episodes as well as the previous Yancey Street specials. Uh, they have been focusing on characters like Magic, Patsy Walker, and Clea. Um, and then I know that I have not decided on a September special yet, but I know October's Halloween special is going to be covering Satana, the Devil's Daughter. Um, So that's another really exciting one to look forward to that I've already started working on, and again I'm very excited to share whatever the results I end up with. Um, Whatever time you listen to this, I hope you're enjoying the She-Hulk show. I hope I still enjoy the She-Hulk show uh, by the time that you're listening to this too. Jeez. Um, And really um, be nice to each other. Support women. Support women's friendships and the power of female relationships, you know? It's all good stuff. Enjoy She-Hulk. I hope for all of our sakes that it it remains a good show and ends (laughs) really well. To wrap up the episode here just a little bit, Um, I also wanted to add that I'm going to be putting in, just at the end here, all of my social media links and whatnot, um, just in case that's something that you're at all interested in tracking me down. If you like this podcast that much, then follow me on stuff and support the podcast, and that'll all come up after this. So have a great month. See you in September. Real quick here before we get started, please feel free to join the Yancey Street Discord. There is a fresh invite link at the bottom of each episode's description. The Discord is a safe, friendly place for socialization and discussion of whatever you want really, comics, pop culture, or otherwise. And it's also where you can go to find links or images mentioned during the podcast all in one place. You can find me most easily on social media via Instagram. My username is at Anna with the comics because my name is Anna and hey, I've got a a lot of comics. Uh, my podcast updates, if you want to find those, they'll be mostly on Twitter, where my username is at Savage she Geek because Sensational was too many letters. My website is SensationalSheGeek.Weebly.com where I have been working on fixing up the site quite a bit so that it is still relevant in addition to the podcast, so make sure you go and check that out, including my beginner's guide to both comics and manga, covering hopefully any information that you might need to take your first steps into the world of comics or manga, including recommendations on comics, graphic novels, manga, series, etc. Uh, I also have my reading orders with commentary on appearances of various leading ladies, many of which I use to turn into the monthly Yancey Street specials also linked all over my site, Uh, and they focus on a so far female character from the comics to study thoroughly and then expand upon in a podcast episode of their own. I try to make them pretty relevant. For example, I'm about 95% done with a Jennifer Walters She-Hulk episode which is going to be coming out uh for her show this August. Additionally, anything pre-2021 content-wise can be found written in the website blog for your reference, which was all before I started the podcast. Plus my podcast notes, which are basically all the content of each episode in written format, are made available on my blog as well for reading the podcast instead of listening and for those who are hearing impaired if they'd like to keep up with the podcast events as well. And you can finally find links to anywhere that you can listen to the podcast, which is most, if not all, podcast hosting apps and also includes YouTube. On YouTube, I also post the podcast episodes in a single playlist format, if that is easier way for you to listen, and I also occasionally post action figure review videos. It has been a lot more imports in the latest videos, as I have pretty much given up on Hasbro's Marvel Legends line, Uh, but I do have a big backlog of Legends videos, including a tour of our entire collection, it's a very long video tour, and soon the Haslab Galactus, assuming that he is on his way to go alongside last year's Haslab Sentinel video. I do have a podcast Patreon. You can find it under Sensational Geek. It's set up for donations to support the podcast, as well as a Ko-fi, which is like a buy a creator, a coffee situation. And Cash App, Venmo, PayPal are all linked on my link tree for donation towards the podcast, which should appear linked, among uh, various other fun things, at the bottom of each episode's description. Uh, I do also have a Redbubble shop called Geek Shop, but I have been having some issues with their site and whatnot, Um, so I'm working on setting up my own storefront on my site, which hopefully will be coming by the new year and will be faster with more support from listeners.